broadcasting from the third coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studio. This is The Hango Show. I don't, I don't give as much because well, number one, it's they're in the town that I work in, but they just built a new one probably oh two or three years ago. Yeah, and they stuck it like right at the busiest intersection of the entire town. So it's hard to get in and out of. So it's, it's impossible to get in and out of that place. Yeah, um, but that whole the whole area there in the town is kind of like being revitalized. Okay, and they're bringing like a lot of restaurants into this that's like the center of town it's the two main they call it cross town it's the two main streets in town cross right there and it's a train track crossing also there's a gigantic intersection that then gets backed up when the train comes through and so trying to get in and out of there man i don't even try it now do these are these new build new buildings or wow yep. what kind of what kind of uh, traffic is it foot traffic inside no, or outside? It's, it's all it's all Road traffic. Okay. Um, you don't, I don't know, you you can see some foot traffic sometimes. Like downtown, they, they <clears throat> downtown close, the biggest city close to us, their downtown um, used to be rough. Really? Like sketchy. Okay. You know, and about 10 years ago, they started doing this whole re- revitalization project down there and it turned into um like a hipster paradise okay you know it was coffee shops it's it's high-end eateries um casual dining and uh you know the main street there smells like patchouli and sandalwood now (laughs) it's it's just it's you know him we call that the granola drink <laughs> so, like, they came in there because that part of town it, back in the day was like um, super popping. You know, they had like, they still have like the historic theater down there and all this kind of stuff. Um, and just like in that 70s, 80s, and then in the 90s, it got bad down there. I mean, okay. it, it got sketchy. But they started this whole thing. They redid the roads down there, made it more. Uh, walk friendly. Like, okay. Like, actually, put in good sidewalks. Uh, put in a bike lane. Um, uh, built like these incubator buildings for, for businesses to move into, and it blew up. And like uh, in ninety, shoot, the whole push behind it was like in ninety six, not before ninety six, like ninety two maybe. They built like a a big arena down there, like the biggest one in our area. And they could like held like sixteen thousand people, so they got like minor league hockey in there. They had um, like some indoor football teams, indoor soccer teams, ton of concerts. I mean, it was you know <clears throat> Aerosmith, and I mean some pretty big names came through. And once that started happening, they're like, oh, well, if people are going to be coming to this part of town, we need to Step give it a facelift, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You give it a give it the old lady bird revitalization, right. <laughs> beautification, beautification, right? Beautification, yeah. Uh, some people call it gentrification, you <laughs> exactly. know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, over the last you know twenty some odd years, they've really 
uh, almost 30 years now. They've, they've really stepped it up down there. And um, it looks a lot better than, than what it was. I mean, like back in, when I was like in high school, you kind of went down there just to get whatever you needed and get out. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't tarry down too long. You wanted to get your stuff and get out. Once that arena popped up, a lot of the riffraff moved out. There was more cops down there directing traffic and things like that. And it, it kind of cleaned things up, and they've kind of moved that now into town. So um, kind of repurposing the, the area. Well, just making it, you know, livable yeah. or, or be able to enjoy it night or day on the street without getting shanked or something, you know. Right. Uh, I don't go down that part of town too much because where I work is – like at the medical district. But the other night I was like, I'm going to drive through downtown and see what's going on. They replaced all the street lights with led street lights now. So it was like driving. I could turn my headlights off and been fine. It was like daylight all it, the way down. Was it at night or during the day? You this was down? at midnight. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I've got, uh, any type of those yellow lights driving at night, kill my eyes. Yeah. Like headlights or anything uh-huh. like that, you know. So LEDs is a great idea. Yeah, what drives me drives me nuts about driving at night is the good old boys who put the light bar where they can see into eternity. It's oh so my bright, God, yeah. And they, hunting deer on the road, <laughs> they yeah. they mount it low like fog lights, and they jack their car up, and so that light bar is taking up my entire rearview mirror. Yes, you know, I hate that. I get pissed. Um, what I started doing is getting a little gap in front of them. And then turn them outside mirrors all the way out where it's shining back at them. They either dim them or back off or get on around me. That's you know, good. That's give them a taste of their own medicine. They kind of they, they ain't bothering me then, right? You know, because our new vans don't have back windows. It's just like a panel van all the way around. So I just have my side my side view mirrors, so they can tailgate me all they want to now. But I'm all good. Yeah, I, I Missouri is famous for those. <laughs> Yeah, and so, yeah, it really pisses me off when I see those. It, it, to me, there's no point to it unless you're going to be way out. You know, keep them off on the highway and turn them on maybe when you're if on a two lane road. If or you're going to do that, don't jack your truck up where the fog lights are now at eye level with the guy in front of you. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Hango Show. This is your host Tango Wood, and today I've got a very special guest. Uh, it's a friend of mine from. From seminary back when I was a good boy, and uh, we've kept in contact now over the years. We've known each other for what, twenty years now, a little since, over twenty since years. since ninety eight. Yeah, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Right. Ninety nine. This is my friend Jay here. How you doing, Jay? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. And thanks for coming on. <laughs> Not been canceled <laughs> too bad yet. Um, yeah, I'm up here. We recorded MegaCast the other night. And you came by for that, and you kind of sat in the peanut gallery. <laughs> got, that, got to meet those guys. Well, that was definitely an experience. I, <laughs> I sat back, watched, and experienced the uh, – well, I took in the experience, I should say. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Matt and Edison? I, I love those guys. They're, uh, you know, very genuine people. Absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, I, you, you can definitely tell the difference between who they are in person and what their personality is on, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's a thing. So, but no, really good people and, uh, was really happy to interact with them. Yeah. They, they are some top notch guys R- regard. I mean, like you said, you know, there's a, there's them and then there's the personality right. that you get, you know, kind of, kind of like me on here. Well, I try to stay pretty genuine best I can. I might say some things that I really don't believe just to 
rouse somebody up, you know, but I would say a good 75% of the stuff I say on here, I'm pretty much with, um, I think I made a comment about cutting off a chicken's head one time to get more spirituality. That was kind of in jest, kind of. Well, we did that once. Once. Yeah. <laughs> but then I cut my finger off. I thought that was the neck of the chicken. Now, the reason I wanted to have Jay on here, uh, number one, he's he's become like a brother to me over the years. Um, that today you introduced me as your brother. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I've been adopted now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you stood in there for me when I got married, you know, 20 yeah. years ago. So that's, that makes you family. I, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, but also, uh, Jay is, is, he works in the finance, finance industry. And if you listen to this show at all, you know, that's kind of something that, um, I like to mess around with, or, or I'm interested in business and, and finance. I mean, not to a obsessive amount, but, um, no matter how much we try, it takes money to make the world go around. Yeah. It'd be great to go back to a barter system or, or whatever, but, um, in reality, we are stuck in the system we have right now. Definitely. With, with banking and, and, and monetary policy and whatnot. Um, and when I started this whole sideshow of a, of a show, uh, you started, I told you I was going to do the show. You started texting me. You're like, man, stock tips and this and that, you know. Uh, so you really, well, I guess you have to have your ear to the ground when it comes to, to finance. This is part of your, part of your it's, it's, it is your job. Definitely. Uh you know, being in the industry for 17 years now, a little bit over 17 years, I've kind of grown up with, uh, you know, the new wave of the way things work versus the old school stuff that um, you would have um, pre-2000s, right? Yeah. So, you know, kind of uh, got my feet wet with the very, very uh, shallow end of the pool and, uh, uh, you know, worked my way to the deep end. And... Uh, it's interesting because I've I've lived literally all over the world, including overseas, and uh, the um, the wealth or perception of wealth or accumulation of wealth in each type of area you're in is completely different, and the way people value and see money and resources is different. Uh, for example, I've lived uh, outside of the continuous United States, which. Um, you know where I've lived, right. and uh, those people there are more transient. Um, they have, they are, uh, uh, they have money, but they don't care about money. Right. Um, I would say, uh, from my perception here in, in Missouri, moving back here about almost seven years ago, kind of brought that perception from where I came from here. But it's so different in the way people view, uh, view money and value money here. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have money here and a lot of people have money and you wouldn't, you would never know it. It's old money. And, um, uh, so even, even in your more depressed areas that I would consider depressed, you have, uh, long-term wealth, uh, based on assets. So, you know, like, um, housing, like I've met several blue collar workers that have disposable income, not based on their income stream per se, but based on what they don't have to have as an output, right. you know, their parents left them their house They're, uh, you know, they have no debt because when their parents died, they were left a certain amount of money. And, and, you know, because of that transient nature from where I came from, 
there wasn't a lot of handing down of wealth. Right. But here, we're in the Midwest, the gateway to the West. You have a lot of roots here mm-hmm. and a lot of wealth that uh, stayed behind and goes generation to generation. And, uh, you know, as the populace has moved further and further out from uh, the city, um, you know, it's become less and less expensive to buy in those areas. And so people will either um, trade up or they'll stay and keep all their money. Yeah. So you know, you got kind of a, a twofold thing. And then what I've noticed is as the elderly population um, that has the wealth is passing away, either two things, they taught their kids well how to manage that, or those kids will take that wealth and it will be gone essentially within a year. See, that's something I saw um, a few years back. They said when it comes to generational wealth, um, there's you know, the first generation who makes the money. They're the ones who make the right moves or they fall ass backwards into luck like I do most of my life, <laughs> you know, fall <laughs> ass backwards back into, into an even better job than I already had. Um, I think Matt says that too. That he just, you know, stars is aligned sometimes, and you you get lucky, you know. Um, or they like I said, or, or they were just misers and hung on to the first penny they ever made and just socked it away. And those people hand that money down to their kids, and those kids, their kid, the second generation, they will hang on the vast majority of that money because they had to see what their parents went through to get that amount of wealth. But it's the third generation who usually blow through it. You're, you're, you're pretty spot on. I, I didn't know how, if that was true. That's you're, kind of way it was explained to me. You're pretty spot on because a lot of those first generation people, you know, they, you know, they were a little bit past that uh, depression era. Right. Speaking from our, now, our right. view now. Yeah. Right. So baby boomers, baby boomers. Right. And so, and even if their parents had a good living, they didn't live extravagantly. Right. Everything was uh, done they live within strategically, right? right? And so because the second generation saw that and usually were forced to work at a young age because of principle, right? right? They learned how to work hard and weren't given everything, you know? And so what I've noticed is like the second generation, you know, uh, that has that's handed down the money – they will sit on that. They'll they'll put it into something. Usually, depending on their threshold, and, and there's a various amount of threshold, but what I've seen lately around this specific area is that um, a lot of those people are very conservative. They they will either stay in cash or some instrument that's that's pretty much equivalent to cash. Like a CD. Like or a CD T-bill. or T-bill, something like that, because they knew their parents worked so hard for that. They, it's almost like they feel an emotional connection to it, right? And they don't want it to go. But the third generation, like you said, you know, literally, um, you know, without exaggerating, just a recent interaction I had with uh, some people. The uh, one of my, you know, somebody that I know passed away. Uh, unfortunately, it was from recent events, you know, right. uh, and. Uh, body is still cold at the hospital. I mean, I was still warm at the hospital, not even cold yet. And the uh, third generation saying, Hey, I want my money. 
Like, I mean, I mean, so you know they're they're not going to invest, that they're going to spend. That. I've seen that so many times, um, just in my life. Uh, I can't think of anybody directly related to me that happened. I, I could probably be told. Um, I see. I've seen so many people um, who, when grandma or grandpa die, they're standing there with their hand out at at like you said at the funeral, mm-hmm. just waiting to get their cut. And I don't know if it's just entitlement or if they have an addiction that they're trying to feed or what it is. But I, I've heard stories like that. And I, when I lost my grandparents, I didn't care if I got anything. I lost my grandparents. They meant more to me than any amount of, of any amount of money. Exactly. You know, didn't ask for anything. Didn't want anything. I was grieving. Exactly. You know? So yeah, I, I cannot relate with that, with that in any way whatsoever. Um, what are, let's, let's go into some ways that you can help invest money. Okay. Um, explain the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA. So you, so when you say IRA, you're, you're speaking, so people know what you're talking about is a traditional IRA. It's a tax sheltered account. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Please explain this because sure. I cannot do it as good as you can. So, so an IRA is, is think of it as, uh, like the umbrella. And when I say umbrella, think of it kind of like a patio furniture umbrella, the big umbrella where everything investment wise or instrument wise can go under. So the IRA is, is your tax sheltered umbrella that you can put many things under. Okay. And the difference between the two that you mentioned, the Roth and the traditional, is just based on uh, whether or not the, the money's been taxed already. And when you can, uh, the, the accumulation uh, time frame before you can withdraw and what you're going to pay. So when you have an IRA, a traditional IRA, the theory behind it, from my perspective and my you know uh, education, is that theoretically your, your earning years like your young earning years like you are now, your tax bracket Not is, so young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> your tax bracket's at a place where you need to defer the taxes, right. right? So theoretically at retirement age you will have the ability to withdraw money and pay less taxes. And um you know So Roth IRA or a traditional IRA is to put money that you've earned that you've already been taxed on into a tax shelter. So a, a traditional IRA is tax deferred. Okay. So you have not paid taxes on that yet. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You're accumulating without paying taxes, and that's why if people withdraw before they're uh, allowed to, they, the, the government penalizes right. them 10%. So your magical age for a traditional IRA is 59 and a half. Okay. Okay. And then the, uh, the government doesn't want you to die before they get all their money. Mm-hmm. And so they require you to do a minimum distribution before uh, – and, and the ages have – Slightly changed a little bit, but uh, just for shits and giggles, you can say 70 and a half. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you really need to have a plan. And, and the reason why people, there are several different reasons. So I don't want to put it all in one bucket, but the reason why someone would do a Roth is so that they can either convert their traditional at a, at a significant time in their life where they break even on the taxes okay. and they have the money to pay the taxes now and they want to accumulate it, t- uh, without having to pay taxes later. Okay. Okay. So, um, so that's how, that, so you're going to pay taxes on the money you put in there before you put it in there. So if you, you know, you convert it or you start a Roth, you've already paid taxes on the, on the money you're putting in there. And that way you can, uh, 
accumulate differently. And some people, um, so there are some contribution limits. I started to say, you've got to have a certain, uh, you have to have a, a minimum amount to keep in a Roth, correct? Well, that's dependent that everyone's situation. It's, it's all different. It's all okay. different. So let, maybe give a little caveat here. This is not, we're not Fi- this get- is not financial advice. <laughs> this is just a financial discussion. Right. This is for education and entertainment purposes only. Uh, I, I asked Jay to come in here simply because he is a lot more well versed. I'm financially, I'm at about like a first grade, first grade education and he's well into high school. So continue. And so, and so, you know, I always recommend that, first of all, there's two things that I recommend for people to do when they're considering any type of financial planning is to have an accountant or tax advisor because taxes are extremely integral to any type of retirement process. Right. And then also a financial advisor. And sometimes, depending on how you are using a financial advisor, um, that you can you can have all those resources at one place. So, for example, uh, you know you have your traditional brokerage or financial brokerage house or brokerage houses. Then they like to call themselves financial advisors now, because people are afraid of the word brokerage or so like broker. Edward Jones places. Edward like Jones, that's your financial advisor, mm-hmm. but it's a brokerage house, right? Okay. And then you either within those organizations or separate from those organizations, you also have um, fiduciary wealth management, and those fiduciary houses usually have a team of people that will work with you uh, just because uh, you know those fee-based fiduciaries are charging a, a management fee to manage the wealth part but they're also providing ancillary items like tax advice or tax uh, preparation or uh, geriatric care so they, they do everything they do everything gotcha. so there once you get into that uh, there's a break even pl- uh, spot uh, where you would uh, the fees would be comparable to uh, what you're making so you you don't want to you don't want to have a fiduciary necessarily at $100,000 gotcha you want more of a fiduciary maybe at 5 to 600,000 because theoretically if if the if the institution's charging you 1% to manage your wealth you want to be able to whatever you're making to outpace what you're paying, offset that, offset that, right. and it's those are really long-term uh, family planning type atmospheres. The average Joe, say for example, and, and redirect me if I'm getting off track. No, man, go. I'm run loose, <laughs> man. Do it. You know, if you say for example, you uh, you're working a job that offers you a 401k. Okay, you should. I want to get into that too. So you're right on track. Keep so going. You, so you definitely might. You know, if it was me giving my friend advice, I would say, hey, you definitely want to contribute ex- as much Max as they'll. It out. <laughs> yeah, especially if your if your institution matches that. Right? That's what my grandfather always said. If you get a 401k offer, you mat you max out whatever they'll match. And the good thing about having some a tax advisor is, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where, hey, I'm going to go open an IRA too while I'm still contributing to a 401k because there's some tax limitations right. there. Okay. And see, that's, that's another problem I think is that our tax laws are a minefield. They are. And I don't see how, I mean, you are so well versed on this stuff. Uh, you you can you can tell people hey do this don't do this. That's the reason I wanted you on here because me I'm like yeah stack them high <laughs> bet the house on it. You know you're like no 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 don't do that. So yeah please go ahead. So you know while you're contributing you know you to your 401k you may have a handful or a basket that you can choose for that your employer allows you to choose from as far as investment vehicles right like 
you're going to be a, maybe a triple blue uh, blue chip growth fund or you might have some stock funds but it's it's generally going to be something they know that will profit work. sharing options yeah right. stuff that will be i mean there could be some riskier stuff in there but most of the time uh you'll have a lot of a lot more conservative avenues pretty sound stuff pretty sound stuff but what i do with my customers is even if they're in a 401k okay um and i say hey why don't you why don't you do this you know, after we have several meetings, I say, "Why don't you do this? Why don't you print out what you've got going on? So we can look at all the different uh, uh, percentages you have in each different thing." And we bring my financial advisor in because I partner with a financial advisor that works with me. And even though we're not going to make money off this person, we're going to set us up for success later right. by giving this person say, "Hey, you're definitely on the right target based on what your goals are, based on what your um, your uh, threshold for um, you know risk is." Um, or hey, you, this is really risky, and you said you're very conservative. I don't know that I'd have, you know, I'd direct you on this way. And the reason why we do that in my industry, where where I'm at, is because once those jobs are done, or once you quit that job or move to a different job, you can move your 401k, and you can do that in several different ways. You can either roll your 401k into an IRA, like we were talking at the beginning, and then what that does for you as an individual is it gives you choice under that umbrella because that that tax sheltered uh process is intact when you move your 401k into your ira so they're just two different tax sheltered types so a 401k is an irs you know protected or ira yeah an irs protected account and so is a is an ira so once you roll that over or move that over you can choose whatever investments you want with that money, gotcha. as long as you don't spend the money, right? As long as you don't cash it out, you can invest it however you, you can, want. You can do whatever you want. But some people, what they'll do is they'll go to a new job that has a four hundred one k, and they'll move that four hundred one k they had at Company A over to Company B, and commingle it with their new four hundred one k, so that the compounding effect is there. So if they have twenty more years to work, ten more years to work, it may be more beneficial for them. To have that compounding effect where they bring their 300 grand over and they're not just starting from a thousand square one. Yeah, square right. one. I mean, they're going to invest that 300,000 somewhere, but it's not going to have that compounding effect right. with that commingling. So it just depends on what someone's goals are, where they are in life. There's a bunch of different models out there for people to look at and, and, and choose from, but finding a sound financial advisor is, is key. Broke. Don't get scammed. Don't get scammed. Right. And, and you don't have to make a decision now, right? You have time. Wait, I mean, that's you can you can apply your search for a financial advisor or for a bank. Um, I mean, America is like one of the last bastion of capitalism or whatever. You know, it's okay to shop around. Don't hop in bed with Jim Bob's financial advisory. You know, and he's got some kind of certificate he printed out and stuck up on the wall. Like, yeah, I, I got this covered. It's it's good to shop around. Um, one of the things that the internet has given us is reviews. And it, it, I think it's great. I mean, you're trusting somebody with your financial future. Yeah, you need to know who you're dealing with. And that's, I think it's really because cool, you 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 work with a you work for a very small, uh, a very small financial institution. More, Compar- comparatively, oh, compared to like Bank of America, exactly, and, exactly, and Wells Fargo and everything, you know. Um, and so I would think that you know you get to know your customers. They're not just a number to you, exactly. And that's, that's really what you want when you're trusting somebody with your 
last 20 to 30 years of life where you can live comfortably. They're going to swindle you of everything that you've worked so hard to accomplish. Yeah. People need to do their research too. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research you can do, especially with the state you live in. Mm. Find out if that person's ever had any, you know, felonies, felonies, (laughs) fines, if they've been reprimanded, things like that. And And they had an SEC investigation. The cool thing I love about the guy that I work very closely with, and I won't mention his name just to protect him. um, He never brings any paperwork to the first meeting because it's not important getting to know the person getting to understand their goals and he's not there for a sales pitch he's not there for a sales pitch gotcha. and in our specific institution is con- extremely conservative that way because w- you can sell somebody something once but we're, we're looking for relationships and you should find I, my advice is for people to find someone who wants a relationship who's been around for a while that's not fly by night it's like finding a doctor you want somebody that you can trust you know exactly. with your financial health yeah and I and I compare that a lot to customers. I said they like, well, why are you asking me all these questions? You know, and I, I try to give them a, a value statement before I start asking questions, so they know why I'm asking questions. But if they start to, and you can tell when someone tenses up because it's very personal. You know, it is. So I tell people, I say it's kind of like going to the doctor, right? I don't want to put a band aid on a broken arm, right? And I want to put a cast on a burn, right? Yeah. So we we need to understand exactly where you're coming from, what your goals are. I'm not, I'm not going to give you Tylenol when you need. Something stronger. It's morphine. Exactly. So that type of thing. You want to look for someone who's not just trying to sell you something, but is trying to help you prepare for the future. Yeah, because if if, if they're making you money, they're making money. Yeah, that's and, what it really boils down to. And when you're, and just for people out there, just to, the disparity between the not disparity, but the the difference between a broker or a financial advisor and more of a fiduciary, like a trust company or something like that. So in, in the brokerage world, it only has to be suitable for you, but it can also be suitable for the broker because right. they're going to make money, right? But in a fiduciary environment. They have to do what's right for the customer, even if it's not right for the institution. Gotcha. So that's kind of where once you build your wealth up to an amount where that fiduciary will take you, I, I recommend at least considering that. And there's some legal documents to go with that, like trust documents. And depending upon your state that you live in, uh, a will may not be sufficient because in the state of just for the state of Missouri, right? A will is fully probatable, which means if I can test your will then all of the information is public. Right. And so in a trust, it's it's solid. There's it's, no question. It's locked tight. It's locked tight. You you might pay a thousand or two thousand dollars to have a trust made. But it's, it's a drop of the bucket. But right? it saves your family from I've seen fist fights in institutions. I've seen brothers and sisters in an institution beat each other up over, oh my God. over money. Uh, almost run each other over in the parking lot because people money is very a very sensitive topic because there's a lot of motion behind money. Mm. Um, and then with that, with wealth building, protecting yourself or your family is just as important as saving for the future. So, you know, if you're, if you're already doing a 401k, you already have, uh, you know, some money saved up or some assets that you, that you might pass down. Also consider different types of life insurance that you could give your family. Um, because today's dollar is not going to be the same as 10 years from now. Well, what do you, uh, you may not have. Not even me up. I'm sure you are up on it. Would you would you suggest like a term life insurance or a whole life? Depending, I mean, that's really dependent upon someone's age and need. Gotcha. Um, for example, what I did is um, just personally, 
I have I have some medical issues that I can't get private insurance, you know. Gotcha. So I have I have to stay at a corporate job so that I can have corporate insurance, right? And I also ported some insurance from a previous employer, so I carry that policy, even though it's not as cheap as group insurance, you know. But I bought my kids a whole life policy when they were born, and everybody thought, "Oh my God, that's so that's so gross, <laughs> so morbid, morbid," you know. <laughs> but the reason why I did that is, and I bought a, I bought enough to give them when they're when they get married. So that if they ever have a medical condition come up, they'll never have to worry about insurance. Right. And so, I mean, I, I bought them a, each a $150,000 whole life policy. I pay about $56 a month for each of those. And, uh, you know, the cash value in there for one of them is already enough to – it's very significant. Right. So the, the, uh, the whole life has a cash value accumulation. And the, you know – I'm not giving anybody advice, but the reason why I did it is because we've already covered that. You're right. good, <laughs> but the reason why I did that is I wanted my kids to be protected, right? You know, and uh, I also wanted my wife to be protected in case one of my something happens to one of my kids because if one of my kids were to pass away or get severe, God forbid, you know, yeah, God forbid, that uh, I know my wife wouldn't be able to work. So you got to consider all the things that are important to you as an individual and your family and be prepared if not over prepared for what the future looks like because if you are buying insurance with today's vision in mind you're not planning correctly because you're not looking at what tomorrow's dollar uh, is well, that's for. what insurance is supposed to be is for the future exactly you know? so if you're not looking at the future you're you're not really doing anything so i always tell people when you're doing wealth management or any type of financial planning uh in my, from my purview, it's insurance is just as important as accumulated wealth. I, t- I totally agree. Um, I want to get into um, some of the scams because gotcha. I, I love talking about that on my show, and I get to see them every day, and I love them. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you some hairy, I'll tell you some hairy stories that you won't even believe. Well, man. Let's um, let's get into some stock stuff. Kind of goes along with that. Um, there's a guy I watch on YouTube, and he he goes around just outing these scams and the Forex stuff. Are you familiar with Forex trading? Oh my God. On LinkedIn, people always, are you interested in Forex? (laughs) I act like I'm stupid. I'm like, what's Forex? (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know, Forex is a foreign currency exchange. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the deal behind it is that you can, you know, buy the pound at this price today and it'll go up enough that you can trade it for us dollars tomorrow and convert that into yen. And it's, you're, you're shuffling, what you're doing in all actuality is moving around the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic because over a long enough timeline, you're going to lose all your money doing Forex trading. And they, they're happy to take it. It's so volatile. Mm-hmm. You know, Forex is something you, you don't play with, no. in my opinion. Um, and all the experts are already the experts. For a reason. Mm-hmm. They, they've made and billions off of it. And they're asking you to participate because they know you're a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I want to get into some uh, – like. Along with a scam. Uh, oh, before we do that, before, let's take a pause. What, like, if I had a pie, how would I break down my percentages? In your opinion, how should I invest? Like, should I put fifty percent in IRA, ten percent in stocks, and the rest in liquid assets, or how would you break that down? Well, within your IRA, like I said, you can have stock. You can have everything. So right. you okay? Well, let's, let's set this IRA. You mean aside. you mean like a cash account? A non a non. Like if I've got a cash non savings account, mm-hmm. and I want to invest outside of my IRA or my four hundred one k or whatever. Okay. So you have qual. So just so people know out there, you have a qualified account, which is your IRA, and non qualified is any cash that you're investing. Right. 
Okay. So if you're doing non-qualified, let's say I got a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. A hundred thousand dollars non-qualified. You're going to want to find And Like I said, there's a lot of different models out there. Do a couple models with a financial advisor. Uh, and what I mean by that is that really tests your, uh, threshold for volatility or threshold for risk. Well, if I let's do a, do a little role play here. Sure. I come to you and say, look, I've got $100,000 in liquid assets. I've got $100,000 cash mm-hmm. right now. How would you how would you advise me to invest that like in a pie chart? Well, first I would say, is this all your cash? <laughs> and the reason why is I would never advise you to invest 100000 if that was all your cash. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's the first thing. Because hey, what's, a, what's, what's the minimum amount that you would suggest to start like investing? That's a loaded question because there's a lot of no. I'm there's a lot serious. of variables. There's there's a lot of th- because this is an individualized meeting, right? Gotcha. I mean, because I can't I can't line you guys up on the wall and say, okay, we're going to do this. We're all going to do it the same way, right? And and the reason why, okay, well, you you know me, I know you. Okay, I've got no kids, I've got a wife, um, and we've accumulated. What's what's the minimum Cash. for what I do? Twenty five grand. Oh. Okay, I thought you were going to say more than 100000 I didn't know. <laughs> no, this isn't Merrill Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I come to you with 100000 and you say, this is all your cash. And I say, yes. How are you going to suggest that, that we, me and Tinker, how are you going to suggest that we start investing? First, I want to, first I'm going to find out what kind of debt you have. No debt. No it's, debt. It's, it's, it's say you, you're just, you're just wanting to, you're, you have everything done that you right. want to do. You just really want to do a hundred thousand. Right. So what are you wanting to stock pick? Are you wanting to play the market? I, 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 I want you, I want you to take this money and over the next 30 years, give me the best return you can. Then we're, we're probably going to probably do a mix based on age. So you're 40 years old. We right. probably do maybe a 60, 40 mix of stocks, bonds, or maybe a 70, 30. Okay. And the reason why is you want, you want that balance, that bond balance there, whatever bonds you're going to, you're going to go with some conservative stuff that, that uh, balances out that volatility, right? Okay. And as you age, you're going to, re- those, those accounts need to be rebalanced frequently. Gotcha. And so you, you want to look at. Because of the volatility of the market. Right. The volatility in the volatility of the market. If you if you look for at the market from inception, right, a lot of people will say, "Well, uh, I don't want to invest right now because I'm not sure about about the election, whatever election it is. Right. It could be election A to Z, right? Doesn't matter if it's a federal election. 2028, exactly. It's the election. If you look at the timeline from inception, and you can do this research yourself, there's really the volatility um, has little to do with elections. In my opinion, right. and from what a lot of scholarly people would say, it's just volatile because it's volatile. It's inherently volatile, right? There are some, maybe some uh, aspects of politics that might drive a market in any given day, but over a long period of time, the volatility is just there. It's a drop in the bucket. It's just a drop in the bucket, right? So you can look through at you know at the market from inception, all the different markets, and you can see the trends, and they and they really come down, go up, come down, and it's just it's really uh, just that way. But I w- if you got a thirty year time horizon, that's what we call that a time horizon because that's when you need to spend the money. So when I'm seventy, when you're seventy, well, the first thing you're going to hope is that when you're seventy, I'm still hot. you're not in a down market. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why that's why as you age, your exposure to risk should be minimized. Gotcha. Unless so you would go more bonds than stock. You start to shift it the other direction so that your so that your accumulation period 
you know, is, is maintained or you know, the accumulation that you have there in the accumulation period is maintained because you don't want to lose your 300,000 in one day. Right. Right. Because theoretically that could happen oh, if, yeah. you, if you're too high up. So uh, what some people do and it's strat- different strategies. Some people will capture gains over different periods of time to take it out, to take remove that volatility. Gotcha. So, for example, say you started out with a hundred grand, you had a seventy thirty uh, mix. You maybe as you age, depending on what that age is, you look into some more fixed items like maybe fixed annuities. Um, and a lot of people are scared of annuities, and they shouldn't be. Oh, my grandfather loved his. You just got to have the right one that does the right things. And so people, there's a lot of misconception on what that does, but uh, fixed annuities are an insurance product where you can put uh, a principal amount or a capital, you know, a hundred thousand, just say for, for this, put a hundred thousand in there. And depending on the years, I, and I don't recommend going over five years because of, you know, rates and stuff like that, but three years is kind of a sweet spot on a hundred thousand. Uh, you know, you can make uh, almost two points on it currently. Uh, and, um, you have a lot of um, there's some flexibility in those, but you're still really conservative. So you, maybe you captured a hundred thousand because your growth was three hundred grand, and now you want some real specific strategies for long term uh, income. Uh, because once you once you start to capture those gains, uh, you can pay the taxes as you go. Capital gains tax. People don't realize that if when you if you make a lot from stock. It can be a real kick in the nuts. Yeah, that's why you really need to have a tax advisor and a a good financial advisor so that you can strategically know when to capture certain gains. So if you have a really good year in business, you're you're an entrepreneur or whatever, and you have a little bit of extra money where you can pay some extra taxes and you can capture some gains and, and alleviate some risk from yourself, that might be an idea that you'd want to run through. your. What you don't want to have is a financial advisor that only calls you once a year. <laughs> That's a bad I mean, sign. You only get one oil. You only get one oil change a year. No, I mean, you go grocery shopping once a year. No, no. I mean, you gotta yeah. you gotta maintain stuff, right? So, anybody that says, "Oh, well, we're only required to call once a year," move on. Yeah, move on. You want someone who's committed to you because that's you know, because they want to help you. And uh, but there's so many different scenarios out there because everybody's situation is individualized. Oh, it's so different. Yeah, you know, um, you're talking about annuities. My grandfather. You met my grandma and grandpa when I moved into the college. Yes. Um, and and uh, they retired. Uh, my, my grandfather was like, he always told, told my mom the same thing. So she did it. He told me the same thing. Retire as early as you can because you never know how long you're going to be able to enjoy it. Exactly. He's like, if it's 62, take 62. If it's 62 and a half, take 62. Whatever it is, you, you take it. Um, but he had done an annuity. Without my grandmother knowing it. Okay. <laughs> so they got started getting their they started getting their uh social security checks. He was getting two. Ah. And she couldn't figure out where he was getting this extra money from. He's like, I bought an annuity. Why did you tell me? Because so he had a little bit extra every yeah. month, you know. And he had told me, um, you know, that of course they increase the social security check, but they also increase insurance costs that goes along with it. And he's like, If it went from that annuity, he said, we'd be in trouble. Yeah. You know, he says that he was really smart with, with, with their money. Grand, my grandmother was too. Yeah, that woman would squeeze squeeze a nickel till it till it screamed. Right. You know, but it's just because they're products of the depression. Yeah, and those and those strategies are for people that are heading towards retirement age. Those when you're when you're trying to. Um 
fixed annuities are not for people our age. And the right. reason and the reason why is because you have that 59 and a half age requirement to be, I mean, you're going to pay taxes on. We're not that far away. Right. I know. <laughs> Don't remind me. But, you know, but it's good to look at options and there's so many different types. It's know, good to keep in the back of your mind for when that when that time comes. Because it can provide you with an income stream for life, and depending on what your what your projected life will be, I mean, most men are living to what seventy five, eighty years yeah, old, somewhere on there. So, uh, I mean, there's an actuary table and and all kinds of, or not actuary table, but a um, what am I trying to say here? A um, there's a table that shows you know how long people are supposed to live based on all the different factors. But um, yeah, so I've seen a lot of, and, and with, and the reason why I mentioned that is interest rates right now. Are extremely low. So yeah. if 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 customer A or person A puts a hundred thousand dollar in a money market account at the bank, you're going to make. Wind. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, I just did a financial calculator on on somebody recently just to show the juxtaposition. We have uh, just a liquid money market account, just cash, hundred thousand cash. Um, if you're making uh, fifteen basis points on that, fifteen to twenty five basis points, you're talking about very min- under ten dollars, right? Right. But uh, if you're putting, the, if you're, a, if it's the right strategy for you, and you chose a fixed annuity at one dot seven five or something like that over a three year period, you're you're going to make what five grand or something like that. So you, you look at thirty bucks, five grand. Yeah, what I hear a lot of people say is, oh, I don't want my money tied up. But uh, that was sitting there for three years already. Yeah, you know, doing nothing, doing nothing. So you got you have to have some. What I want people to think about is what is what is this money for? What is it supposed to do for me long term? Because if I just want to look at it and see it there, well, yeah, then I want it in cash. If I want to just, if it's pretty to me and I want to see it there. But if you want that money to do something for you and you're conservative, you know, look into your options uh, and don't just buy any, you know, fixed annuity. Look into triple, triple A rated. Don't walk into the casino and put it all on red. Right. Look at triple (laughs) A rated, you know, insurance companies that have been doing it for a very long time. Read the fine print. Ask what the flexibility is if you have to get money out. Usually on a fixed annuity, after the first contract year, you can get 10% out. Okay. So if you need, so people, you know, if, if they're saying, well, I'm not sure that I, if I'm going to need 10 grand, well, on 100 grand, you're going to be able to get 10% out. So that's 10 grand yeah. after the first contract year. And uh, that's for any kind of, uh, you know, type of uh, emergency or anything like that. But we never ever put anybody's full uh, basket of eggs in one basket. Gotcha. Right? Ever. Because, uh, that's setting people up for failure, and that's setting up uh, the institution for failure because it makes you look bad. Oh yeah, exactly. It's, it'll just muddy up your name, you know. Because, yeah. um, you know, I look at the Wall Street Bets page on Reddit, you know, and, and they always say, "No, this can't go tits up." Well, it can too. Anything can happen in money. You know, if I know one thing about math, it can change really quick. Yeah, and the Titanic couldn't sink either. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> And the Vietnamese couldn't beat America during a war. Exactly. <laughs> Those guys in the pajamas, man. <laughs> the French blew their horn too soon. <laughs> um, am I wrong in saying that it's crazy for me to have a savings account because interest is so low right now? No. Okay. I want to make sure. <laughs> because it's been low. I think I've mentioned it one, on one of the other shows with the boys. Since 9-11 – Interest has been down next to nothing, which was like the beginning of my actual working career, you know. And so I've always been like, why am I going to put money into a savings account when it's not making me any money? So if, let me ask you this different question. Okay. For you personally, okay. if you didn't have if you didn't have that exact same amount of money in the savings account that you have now, where would you where would you put it? 
Like you said, ah, I don't need a, why would I need a savings account? The interest rate's low. Do you even know where you would put that? I mean, I put stuff like in, in stocks or, or, or whatever here or there. Okay. But you won't keep it in a, you're not keeping it in a checking account necessarily. Oh, no. Okay. So the, the reason why I, I brought that up because a lot of people are like, well, I just keep it in my checking account. There's no, I'm not making any interest. Oh, so you're saying at least make something off of it if you can. No, at least put it in a savings account, even if it's paying oh, nothing. Gotcha. And the reason why is, uh, to protect yourself. Now, most, you know, any institution worth their salt should be able to, you know, help you with any fraud situation. Mm-hmm. But what people don't know is that there's a usually a 10 day to 45 day resolution on fraud. And this is money tied up. And it's money tied up. So, for example, if I've got a customer who's got 50000 in a checking account, what I say to them is, you know, tell me why you're so comfortable or tell me what, what your comfortability is with 50000 in the checking account. Some people want to see 50000 in their checking gotcha. account. It's an ego thing it's or an it's e- a comfort it's an thing, ego thing or whatever. Right. But then I talked to him. I said, you know, if for some reason you swiped your debit card or someone got a hold of one of your checks, you know, and we had to do some research and some time to get this money back because we can't get the money back, theoretically. You know, well, knock on wood. You're insured if you're going to a legitimate place. You're right, but, but you're still tied up during the investigation, right? right? But if you only had 5000 in the checking and 45000 in the savings, now you have access to your cash, right? So now you're not all bundled up with, uh, you know. You've got an emergency fund set aside. Yes, and so I tell people, don't. this is not about how much interest you're making necessarily. This is about security. That makes sense to me. Yes. Thank you for clearing that yes. up. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if you're in your uh, – I get a lot of I get a lot of people that say, "Well, I don't believe in debit cards, or I don't believe in credit cards, I don't believe in cards." Or anything I was like one that. of those for a while. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the reason why I tell people to carry more than one card is because you need to have some form of payment that can be accepted worldwide. And if if on a Saturday afternoon your card gets compromised and you have no way to pay for anything, and then the bank's closed on Monday or whatever institution you go to, have a backup card. You know, have right. have some sort of card. Maybe you don't carry it with you. Maybe you do, um, but um, I never, you know, I never leave. I never leave all my cash, uh, my liquid cash, in one institution. Mm. And the reason, and it has nothing to do with the safety or security of the institution. But if uh, if I want to, you know, be able to access money um, specific ways or do something. Um, for example, I have I have a bank that I've had since I've lived far, far away from here. I've had it right. since 2004. I haven't stepped foot in there in seven years, but I still bank with that company. Gotcha. Okay. I have I have that card, okay, and I also have uh, a couple cards with the institution I'm with now. And the card that I, ha- I have, the two cards I have, um, serve a, serve a specific purpose. So the cards that I have at one access is my checking account. I rarely use that card. Because I don't want to use an access device personally, where all my cash is at. Gotcha. So what I what I have done, uh, just for my sanity, because I see all the filth and dirt that happens to people all the time, is I have a uh, an institution issued uh, re- reloadable debit card. Okay. Oh wow. And what I do is I is on my you know from my app. I can just move money from my checking account in whatever increment I want. So if I want to buy something theoretically off Amazon, but I want to buy it in cash instead of with credit, then I'll throw fifty bucks on that card, and that's the only thing at risk. Gotcha. So I'm not putting very I'm smart. not putting my body out there. You know what yeah. I mean to be beat up on. So you know, in places that I do frequent, uh, if I'm going to use a debit card, it's going to be somewhere that I trust. 
And this doesn't just scare people out of debit cards and stuff like no, that. No, because but, I've had it happen to me. Yeah. You but know. you gotta have, you gotta be prepared because it's not if something's gonna happen to you fraud wise, it's when. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the, uh, you know, the, in, the entity. The bad no, guys it's are, just everywhere now. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yep. Um, I'll give you a couple stories. Yeah. Sure. That's, um, when I use gas pumps a couple of years ago, it may still be going on now, but a couple of years ago, it was people were putting uh, the skimmers and all the gas pumps yes. know, to get catch numbers, you know. Well, you know, the town I live in is this little podunk town up in the middle of nowhere, you know. They would never do it here. You know? <laughs> and so, um, but I'd got where I used, I had a credit card with like a $5,000 limit on it. Right. And I would use that, buy my gas at the end of the month. I Very smart. Just pay it all off, you know, just. There's no interest, you know, because I paid it at the end of the month. And so one day uh, during the summer, I was going to go on a pretty good ride on the motorcycle. And I was, I was like, I'm going to go and get gas now. Well, on motorcycles, you, you, it's ethanol does not like motorcycles and vice versa. So you need to use actual gasoline, not the eco fuel. Right. And there's one place in town that sells 100% gas. With no ethanol. And so I pull in there, pop the credit card in, nope, put the $10 worth of gas on it. On the interstate I go. And I'm gone for, you know, three or four hours. Come back, uh, park, park the bike in the garage, and I get my phone out and I got an email. And this credit card company is like, hey, did you authorize this person? <laughs> Well, in Las Cruces, New Mexico? <laughs> it, it was in Los Angeles. <laughs> was it? <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't. You know, these suck. This was like, like at three in the afternoon on a Sunday. Right. You know, and they had went and bought um, $50 worth of Taco Bell at two different Taco Bells. So 100 bucks a Taco Bell and had went to like a Safeway or something yeah. in a matter of four hours. And they were just... And this credit card company is su- is super good about in their app. You can lock the card from the app, and so I pull the app up, lock it, and call them. We're on the case, and man, in like a couple days, they're like, "It's all good. It's all taken care of." You had to get a new card, though. Yeah, they sent me a new card. Right. Yeah, but I mean, the them having the I, I was like that. I was I'm so afraid to stick my card <laughs> into a gas pump, you know. Right. And when I, if I can just pay it off at the end of the month, I'm not adding any extra money. I'm just getting my gas bill all at once. And uh, I was like, man, I, I did something right for once financially. Yes. <laughs> I didn't just my I tell, debit card. I somewhere. tell people to use credit cards for anything external like that where people aren't managing it all the time, like mm-hmm. gas pumps. And the reason why is, as everybody knows, gas pumps or gas stations get real busy. And that's when the bad guys – and what they're doing now is they used to put the skimmers on the outside. Right. And you could you could kind of if you were smart enough or kind of skilled enough it. you could tug on it and pull it out and you would know, but now you know when you when you when you insert your card they put the the device in the female side of it so it's on the back side of the thing you're never mm-hmm. going to see that there's anything there, and they're capturing that information and what they're doing if you've ever seen that Vice episode where they're printing they're making the, the credit cards in the yes, van or whatever yeah, <laughs> yeah so so that's literally what they're doing they've got it's, they're uploading those numbers and they're printing a piece of plastic right there. And then they're going to Taco Bell. They're just, they're just spending it until they can't spend it anymore. And then that card just, just, just for shits and giggles. And just, really. just throw the card away. Cause it's, it's really just because they do so much of it. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, it's, it's actually one of the biggest losses 
and there, there's provisions for that in institutions because it's one, fraud, uh, debit card fraud loss, and is one of the biggest ones because it's it's hard to police departments aren't going to work on that. No, I mean, you, know, they, you might don't even. What are they going to do? <laughs> you know, and, and institutions are going to want you to get a police report just because they want it documented. But police departments are trying to do murders; they're not trying to do fifty dollar Taco Bell. Yeah, that's another story. We uh, we were going somewhere on vacation. Of course, we went to Atlanta because you have to go to Atlanta to get anywhere in the world from the U.S. now. And we so we get to Atlanta, and Tink had got a um, a, a card for her uh, her savings account. So she had one for her checking and one for her savings. And we had we've been putting money away in the savings account. She's like, "We're gonna I got this card. We're gonna use this for our vacation money, which we were going to all inclusive. So it was just pretty much buying stuff like at the airport." Or right. any kind of any kind of souvenirs or whatever at, at, at the place, and so we get to Atlanta. And we had like a two and a half hour layover. She's like, "Let's grab some lunch. We'll get on the plane or some breakfast, whatever it was." Awesome. So we go to a restaurant there at the Atlanta airport, and we sit down and we eat and everything. And uh, she's going to pay, so she gets that that uh, savings account card out, and hands it to the girl, and she goes away and she comes back. She's like, "It won't go through." And she's, "What do you mean it won't go through?" She's, "It won't go through." Things like it's a brand new card. It's going to go through, and she's like, "Ma'am, it, it didn't go through." And so she looks at it. Is it? It's an ATM card. It's just for withdrawing cash. You can't run it as a debit. <laughs> I was like, "Whoops!" You know, yeah. Legally, legally, you can only tie one account, one what's called a demand deposit account, which is a checking account or a money market account, to a debit card with a primary debit account number, right? Gotcha. So the ATM card is is literally just for cash withdrawal. Well, she had no clue. She looked at it. She's like, this is an ATM card. <laughs> so, even, so even if your institution gives you one card with access to your savings account at the ATM or money market account at the ATM, you do have to choose, you know, what you're trying to do at the ATM. But I've had that happen many times. So we, we try to stay away from ATM cards at my institution right. uh, because you can essentially do the same function with a debit card. Um, but, uh, the, if, if, if Tink would have came to me and said, Hey, this is the, what I want to do, I would have given her one of those reloadable cards <laughs> that she could have transferred the money, well, transferred she, the money onto it from her app. Oh, I mean, it's not like she didn't have the cash in her checking account to pay for this no, $30 but meal. But she wanted it separate. Right. Right. Uh, just so she could say, okay, this is the card we're going to use for vacation. Mm-hmm. So she had to get on her app, transfer the money from the savings account over to her checking account. So we had something to use. Um, Let's get let's go back to the scams. That's really sure. what I want to get into. Sure, um, I I see so much of it online. If it's forex, if it's lending, if it's um, uh, pyramid scheme, if it's um, uh, a Ponzi scheme, you know, uh, a guy I saw the other day was saying he was going to show you how to how to day trade, and he said his goal, our goal today in day trading is to make two percent a day. He's talking about making sixty. He's talking about making sixty uh, percent returns over a month. Impossible. Am I right? Impossible. Correct, that's impossible. When he said Cause that, because if, if, if he could dropped. do that, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> right. I mean, if he but held, he's the, got a proven system. Though. If he held the keys, of the keys of the kingdom, first of all, he wouldn't be on the show because he'd be filthy rich, and second of all, everybody would be doing it. Right. And so I was like, there is no way anybody, in any way, could possibly make two percent a day. Day trading. No. First, you got to be first at the table, and that's hard to do yep. when you're moving money around. Because when, when you're day trading, 
you know, you can, they'll take your money and start to invest it when it's your turn, when they get to you, but they're also going to get to you when you're trying to get out and you could be last at the table. Yep. Yeah. People don't realize that those financial institutions who have offices at the New York Stock Exchange, they have offices there for a reason mm-hmm. because they paid a lot of money to keep those those numbered tags that the traders are wearing. Those things cost a lot of money. Exactly. And so they get first dibs when it comes to trading. Exactly. When you're sitting at home with your makeshift Bloomberg machine, you're going to be sucking hind tit, as we say in the South. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be the, because, the runt. Because when that ticker is reading what you want it to sell it at, just think that it ain't going to be that way when your sell comes through. Right. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Forex for a second. Forex is a scam. Day trading, you've got to have. It's basically like going to the casino. <laughs> it really is. But people don't see it that way. They think it's a legitimate thing because we've had the stock exchange since the 1800s, early 1900s, whatever it was. Yeah. But really, it's just gambling. What I, what I did recently, I would say a few months ago, because everybody was talking about it, and to for educational purposes really was what it was so that I could speak to it with my customers if they had questions and not to give them advice but to know what they were doing. To be right? an example. To be an example. So I, I, I got on Robin Hood, threw fifty bucks in there, knowing that that fifty bucks was really just it's not gonna come back. It's just an it's just an educate what you know, how does this work? If someone says, Hey, I had a problem with this, can you know, what should I do next or whatever then I would, you know, or does this seem right to you? Or, you know, not that I would give them financial advice around it, but for scam purposes, you know, so that I could, you know, just gain a little bit of knowledge on how things work. But um, r- what I've learned just in the short period of time is that Robinhood is a place kind of like a uh, slot machine. The video game. It's like video game. The program. video game, the stock market. Exactly, exactly. So I, I feel bad for people that go all in. Well, I think a lot of people, I could be speaking out of school, you're the expert here. People view Robinhood or Webull or any of those apps as, oh, I'm investing now. When they're really not investing, they are picking a number through that table. Well, what I tell people is, okay, say that you're the smartest man in the room and you're a brain surgeon. You going to do brain surgery on yourself? No. Okay. <laughs> you're going to get the next best brain surgeon right. to do it, right? So... Exactly. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna set the kitchen table and take my appendix out. Right. Even if I'm a even if I'm a surgeon, so I'm not gonna theoretically I'm not gonna manage my own money because I have too much emotional investment right. in it. I'm gonna let the professional who's been doing it for a long time that has my best interest and can kind of warn me about myself or things that might be a danger to me. Like, hey, there's a pitfall ahead, or there's some planning that needs to be done because I, as a human being, my all human beings, you know, we we tend to be emotional about things that are closest to us. Right. And if you can remove some of the emotion out of it, then, in my opinion and experience, you'll do a lot better. All right. Uh, you were talking the other night about um, some of this predatory lending that's going on, on online. Uh, yes. Uh, is it cabbage? Is that the one that you wanted? Yeah, you that's remember? like a that's like small business lending where they where they're just throwing out hundreds of thousands of yeah, dollars. Please yeah, please explain explain the whole thing. So just from my experience, right, I don't want to really knock on an individual company, but from my experience, from a from an experience of mine with a customer, okay, so this is a real-life experience. This customer has actually got a growing business, uh, actually expanding business, and um, 
did some lending, traditional lending for him on some equipment, some trucks, okay? And uh, for some reason, this person thought he was a little bit smarter than everybody else. And so he went out there because he wanted money fast and didn't really, really deal with the lending. He went online and just got a $100,000 line of credit or loan at, at about uh, 30%. And uh, what they do is so that you can't borrow anywhere else after that, they'll do an all-business assets UCC filing on on there. So you're basically stuck, right? That's all you're getting, no it's, matter what happens. Yeah, because most it, once a bank, because a bank's going to want to put a UCC filing on something that, that's not tangible, right? So if you have if you're getting a line of credit and you have no tangible asset to back the the loan, right? It's not a piece of equipment. It's not a it's not real estate. Yada yada yada. And they're going to want to put an all business assets, which is a UCC filing on that line of credit because they want to make sure that they can collect if you don't pay. Yeah. So if you default, they get right. everything in, included in your business. Right. And, and banks don't want your truck. Banks don't want your restaurant equipment because what are we going to do with it? Right. But it's the principle behind it. It's the, it's the, do you have skin in the it's, game? It's a security of, yeah. of they, they can recover something, even though they don't want it. Right. And it's basically to make sure the customer has skin in the game, right? Because right. if it's got to be, impo- if it's important enough for you to borrow money, it should be important enough for you to put skin in the game. And, uh, but, but these, there is such a thing as growing too fast and without advice. Uh, what I've learned in the last year is all small businesses are passionate about what they do, or most all, but not all small businesses should be in business. <laughs> Because they don't know a lot about business, right? right? And so when you don't know a lot about business, you will take that 100000 and be screwed for the next however long, 5, 10 years. I mean, 100000 doesn't seem like a lot until you're paying 30%. Exactly. Right? Um, do you want to get into some of these buy here, pay here car lots and why they are a terrible choice? Definitely a terrible choice. So <laughs> first of all, for the uh, for the consumer – you you may be buying a piece of trash that was underwater in a hurricane and that's now for sale over here, right? So it's, first of all, you may not be buying good equipment. Yeah, you may be buying a car from down my region up here in the Midwest after a and, storm and have yeah. no clue exactly because you think it's here, so it probably wasn't there, but that's not true. So so a lot of these buy here, pay here type places, that's how they accumulate. I'm not saying they all do, but that's well, is it like salvage titles? I mean, what are they? Or are they just grabbing stuff at cheap? They're they're probably grabbing it cheap and also probably salvage titles. Okay, and because you most banks won't lend on a salvage title, that's why you do the bay, uh, buy here pay here because they right. have their predatory lenders that will lend on. But it. you don't know that thing is salvaged until you pay it off and get the title in hand. Unless you're smart enough to do some research on right. the VIN number, right? So in a lot of, and I hate to say this, and it's not it's not a dig at people because sometimes their circumstances beyond their control. But a lot of people that don't have experience in finance or are poor get suckered into stuff like that because they're really looking at how much can I afford to pay every month versus what am I getting for the value that I'm buying for. Well, a lot of ours back home aren't even this much a month. They'll say, get this car for $75 a week. You know, and people exactly. can't, people can't do the math. That's 300 bucks a month. Right. You know, so exactly. Continue. <laughs> and so you, you'll get these, you know, uh, predatory lenders buy here, pay here. And, um, you're going to buy a, a five thousand dollar car with a sticker price of ten thousand, and then they're going to slap thirty percent on it. So first of all, you're underwater because you're you have no equity in the vehicle. You're actually upside down a hundred percent at that right. point, right? Theoretically, exactly. theoretically, and now you're upside down a hundred percent plus the interest that you owe. And just a real life story, I've seen a per, I've seen a, a customer of mine who 
uh, was just getting a footing in this country. So a, a legal alien, but someone that was getting a footing. An immigrant. <clears throat> An immigrant, yeah, excuse me. And they may not have been schooled in how things work around here. Right. But they had a job, and they had enough income to get this. To qualify. To qualify, right? So they came in and said, man, I think my payment's too high. You know, like, I want to refinance this. Well, of course, we want to help them. Yeah, definitely. Let's take a look at it. Bring me, you know, some documentation on what you're paying, what your interest rate is, how much you got left, what, you know, and all the other stuff. And look at it and say, man, you have this vehicle X that you owe twenty nine thirty grand on, but the vehicle is only worth eighteen, and you're paying thirty percent interest. I can't lend on this, you know, and so they're stuck. Yeah. And we, and, and in this particular case, we fit, we did the calculation, and this person was going to pay eighty thousand dollars for a thirty thousand dollar truck. And at, I think a lot of times, and I don't want to speak broadly, but there's a perfect rep- representation of America now. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong or am I wrong? No. Yes or yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we've become so accustomed to, hey, I want a burger, pull into this, pull into this fast food joint. You know, and I've been guilty of it too. Um, with my age, I got smarter of like, hey, you can get this now and pay interest on it, or you can suck a little bit away for three months and, and, and get what you want and it's yours. So do you want to be stuck paying more over the next year, or do you want to just tough it out, eat banana sandwiches for the next three months and put that money aside and say, hey, I can get that stuff now and it's all covered. So you're saying delayed gratification. Exactly. <laughs> so all, all that to say delayed but gratification. Just, I mean, as a, as a country, we became so accustomed to – Buy here, pay in, pay here. Get rich quick. There is no way. There's no way unless you sell under a lucky star that you're going to get rich quick. Just to backtrack a minute. Go ahead. For that point. No, go when, right ahead. when you said, when we were talking about first, second, third generation wealth, the third generation wants the amenities of the first generation's work, which means they don't want to part the work in, but they want the product that came from it, which... You know, they think I deserve to have a well, new they've car. They've seen it their entire life. I deserve to have a brand new TV. I deserve to have a house, right? No, you don't. Work for it. Yeah. You know, and so that mentality of, you know, I need the next iPhone today because your mom bought you when you were in high school, your mom bought you an iPhone. Well, well, you're an adult now, so you need to choose between an iPhone and rent. Right. You know, and what's the, what's wrong with people these days is that, you know, a different tangent here, but the government will help us pay our rent. This whole show's a tangent, man. Yeah. Let's go for it. <laughs> you know, oh, don't worry about the rent. You don't make enough money, so we'll pay your rent for you. Go ahead and buy the iPhone. Yeah. That's the problem we've got because people don't realize that uh, that what your parents worked their whole lives for to buy you that iPhone when you're 16 doesn't mean you have the same income that your parents did. Right. So, you, I mean, there's a time when my wife and I were brand new married, I mean, like I was telling uh, Addison and, and uh, Meredith last night is we were eating ramen. We were dirt poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were eating ramen because that's what. I mean, and the lady at the checkout's like, "Why you need so many ramens?" I'm like, "Listen, lady, <laughs> it's none okay. of your business. None of your business. <laughs> I'm going to spend this twelve cents how I want. Do you want these quarters or not? <laughs> that, that's. Uh, I mean, you tell me the story about you know when y'all when y'all had your, had your firstborn. You know, you talk, we were talking one night about how much you miss her being little you know and you said you know y'all lived in that little bitty apartment 
you know, and you would stand in the shower in the morning and hold her on your shoulder. Someone's and, basement apartment. Right. And bathe her while you were taking your own shower, just mm-hmm. bathing her on your shoulder, you know? Yep. And it, I, I think, um, I didn't grow up like poor, poor. I mean, we did, I never missed a meal. Right. You know, well, I didn't grow up poor. I just, I, I was poor when I first got married. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there are times, you know, in my, that's, <laughs> that's what people always said, man, you, you, You've 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 always got enough to give. Like we can't, you know. You go to my house when I was single, and it was a pack of bologna and a loaf of bread and a six or a beer in the fridge. Yep, you I, could scrounge. <laughs> well, I could I could make. I wouldn't feed anybody it's else. A beer battered bologna sandwich. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it was just me, and I, I knew what it took to keep me under sustenance. You know? Exactly. It was, it was beer and bologna. Exactly. I didn't have internet until Tinker moved in with me. Uh, I didn't have satellite until Tinker moved in with me because she has to have her creature comforts. You right. know, I didn't care. I owned my own business at the time. Everything I was making, I was pretty much putting back into that somehow or the other, you know, or socking it away. Um, and yet, so when she moved in with me, she's like, this is a pretty Spartan experience you got going on here, you know. Uh, I, I used a antenna, had our three local stations on it. And I had DVDs. There wasn't nothing good on TV. Though a DVD, and I've seen a thousand times, you know. Yep. Um, and I was just, I was happy, you know. I didn't have to impress anybody, you know. Right. But um, I mean, growing up, you know, mom always made sure we had we had food. You know, we never went to school hungry, or we never didn't have money to pay for. We paid full price. You no, know, she made too much money to to get free meals or reduce meals. We had to pay full price. Um. And uh, I see all that because I think people who are coming up, who are trying to make, uh, and I'm not saying I didn't get help. My, my grandparents helped, gave me a loan, and got my business going, and I paid them back as I made money in that business until I got it all paid back. You know, I was lucky that I had that. I didn't have to go somewhere where I got charged an insane amount of interest. Um, and I and I love that story because. That's really how society had been prior to the society we live in now is that families would help each other get to where they're going because just talking to, to my grandparents, you know, is they uh, they were able to save what they saved, right? I mean, they I think they saved very well, and uh, they're in their 80s now. And um, talking to them about their uh, their future plans with their with their money you know i said you guys should should spend the money that you have do not try to do not fret and worry about who's going to get what because right. this is the money you earned and this is but you do what you i mean you do what you want it's your money yeah, I'm, i want people when they retire i want them to be able to see and enjoy what they worked so hard and scraped right. by for and if there's something left over for the people that you love fantastic fantastic but you know, but I love this story because I, speaking to my grandparents, they they have helped family members out significantly, all different family members, and they have the freedom to do that because of what they did, right? How they managed, and I love that story because families should care about each other like that, yeah, and not have to worry, not have to worry about their grandson paying eight, nine percent, seven percent on getting their business started when, you know theoretically they were probably going to give that money to family anyway, you know, down the line. So, yeah, that's why I, I, cause they were like, you know, 
my grandfather was always so matter of fact. Um, he was a very quiet guy. Uh, didn't never show like a lot of emotion. He was just old school farmer. That's what he did, you know. And so he's like, "Come on here, sit down and talk to you." God, what have I done now? You know, it's like, <laughs> what did I forget to do? And he's like, "Look, me and your grandma. Uh, I was about to about to finish college. We want to." Um, he said, "Where are you planning on opening your business?" You looked at any spots? Like, well, I looked at a couple here and there, and this and that. And he's like, "Well, look, I've been looking." <laughs> All right. He's like, this place is already set up for it. Um, uh, this is how much it's going to cost in rent a month. Um, this is how much they're wanting. They already had equipment inside of it. They're willing to sell all the equipment and everything. And uh, the guy who owns the property uh, said, you can start paying rent now and leave the equipment there. And when everything's done, you'll be able to move and go right to work. I'm like, all right, he's like, this is how much it's going to cost. It's something that you want to do. I said, that's perfect because the business I was opening, that was already established. That kind of business was already established there. And all the equipment was there. And, uh, of course, it was secondhand equipment, but it was still good equipment. Right. And uh, I was like, yeah. He said, I'll take care of it tomorrow. And he goes, when you get out and get it, when you get out of school, finish it. Cause this was like in October when I was finishing in December. He said, I'm going to go ahead and pay the rent up through like July of next year. He said, you can start paying me back on that as you go. And then you can pick up the payments on it. Yeah. If it would have been for that, it'd have been really hard scrabble starting off that business. Yeah. If I don't have to go ahead and scout locations, get all new equipment in there and have to haggle with a landlord. My, my grandfather knew the guy who owned the building. How much confidence did that give you? A lot. Right. It gave <laughs> you, you know, a lot of confidence, right? Like you I, could go in like a peacock, like, man, I'm, I'm starting well, off. I right. was able to go in Turn the open sign over the first day, and here we go. We're making money. So, um, so your grandfather made an investment with you, not just financially, but emotionally. Well, he loved me. Yeah, you know, he, he loved you. Exactly. He was he was like a dad to me. He exactly. was he was my grandfather. Me and him, you know, I lived with them while I was going to college because they were close to the town the college was in. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, man, when I got home from work, or when I got home from school, if I didn't have to work that that day, he's like, "You want to go outside and do something?" Yeah, let's go cut down some trees. <laughs> We'd go out That's in the awesome, pickup truck man. and cut trees and pull it with chains and everything else. You know, uh, and then we'd come in and we'd eat supper, watch TV for a while. You know, on Sundays, watch, watch the Saints play or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, he he believed in what I was doing. And he, he was willing to pony up the money to help me get started. And, and from my perspective, that's way more valuable than someone saying, here's 50 grand. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because he's teaching a man to work. You know what I mean? Teaching a man to fish instead of just throwing a bucket of fish at him, right? Right. And I, I, that to me, that's, I see a lot of different variables in all the scenarios I see every day. And the people that have the experience like you do maintain a lifestyle of wealth or savings. And the people that are given the money, it's gone. It is literally gone. I've seen, it's I, so weird how that works. That it's way. crazy, man. It's like, when when people get a, um, we talked about it uh, with the boys that night when me and Harpoon were and, and Jut were talking, you know, this time of year, man. When I worked in retail, when I was especially when I was selling guns and stuff and, and jewelry, this time of year was this this time of year during tax season and Christmas season, and that's when we made our nut for the year. 
yeah. as far as commission went and stuff. Because people, to them, it was like, oh, we got a check from the government. Let's go blow this some bitch. You know, when right. they should be saying, hey, let's take $100 out for a little fun money, maybe. And let's sock the rest of this away in case, you know, Timmy breaks his arm next month. Because we don't have any insurance, you know. I'll tell you what. My, my daughter had braces last year. And uh, in my mind's eye, I'm like, oh, you know, this can be a little painful, but. I can probably handle this until I got the the bill. The bill, and I was like, <laughs> "Holy cow! If if you ever chew on any hard candy or eat popcorn, I will kill you." You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, her mom's over there saying, "Get the retainer and get the." Re- you know how much we pay for this? You know how much? Pay- I mean, because but you know the way I look at it is, we made an investment in our kid, right? And I mean, I know it's a superficial investment, but. With with the things that kids go through these days, you know, as far as um, picking and bullying, different and- different things that they go through, right? So that was an investment we wanted to make. Plus, you know, it was something that was important to her, right? And um, but those type of investments are not; those are painful mm. uh, because that investment didn't do anything for me. And as a selfish, you know, as human and, beings right. are selfish, we all tend to think about what's in it for me, right? And making an, and, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because what your grandfather made an investment that had nothing to do with him. Yeah. It had something to do with someone he loved because it was important to you. And those are the little things or big things that impact people for life. Absolutely. You know, cause my kid knows that that wasn't like, Hey, we went and bought some bubble gum and dad fixed it. No, this was like, this is something we, as a family, we sacrificed for, yep. you know, so there's some appreciation behind it. So it's not just frittered away and, and, uh, things like that. So you had a great experience with your grandfather that way. Well, I found out like at his wake and at the, the funeral, um, it wasn't just me. <laughs> I had, I had countless people come up and say, let me tell you what your grandfather did for me. You know, um, even the, the, the pastor who, who spoke at his, his funeral, uh, when he moved to our area, because like I said, my grandfather was a farmer. He did cotton, soybeans, corn, pigs. He, he, he raised, raised pigs. And, um, he got up and he said, when I moved to this area, uh, I'm not gonna say my grandfather's name. Uh, he said he had a, a pickup truck he had for sale. He had a part next to the side of the side of the, if you live in the country, you see people park their car next to the side of the road with a for sale sign on it. Yep. You know, and it was one of my grandfather's old farm trucks that he was going to sell and upgrade to something new. And he said, uh, I went by and saw him and he asked, um, I asked him how much he wanted for it. He told me, and he said, I thought, wow, that's a really fair price. And he said, I, I thought well, he must know I'm the new preacher. And he said, he had no clue. That's just the kind of guy he was. Wow. You know, and my grandfather would we've talked about last night that him growing his garden uh he had three gardens at one point um toward the toward toward the the later years they cut down to two (laughs) because that third one was a little too much um yeah he would they would grow so much stuff because my grandmother canned and and jarred stuff you know and set pantry just full of of green beans that had been had been uh, jarred and, and canned and everything and he would have this huge, huge plot of watermelons. And, uh, you know, we would, I don't eat watermelon. That's a disgusting fruit. 
Um, is it a fruit? It's a melon. Oh. <laughs> it don't seem fruitish to me. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like it. Oh, me either. I hate watermelon. Oh, I found a third one. I was, Tinker t- I was telling. It. I was telling Tink last night. I had a bad experience with watermelon. <laughs> Just a real quick tangent. Go ahead. I was at a. I was at a gospel retreat. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like a, a throwdown. A gospel throwdown. And so there's slices of watermelon, and this is on the beach. And I drop my watermelon slice in the water in the ocean. And I pick it up. I'm like, I can't. They're like, Oh no, 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 no. That's fine. Go ahead and eat it. Put that in my mouth. Boy, I never had. Well, I don't. I'll never eat watermelon again. I'll tell you. What, I, <laughs> it was I, a salty. Yeah, that was that was a religious experience. I never want to. <laughs> never want to re- reenact. I hate watermelon. Yeah, but he would grow all these watermelons, and the family would eat them as fast as he grew them. You know, like my mom will just tear a melon apart. Uh, I took two or three to Jut and, and Nancy. Um, and I, I would always, I lived close to their house, so I'd go by their house when I was going to, to open the shop in the morning. And one morning he flagged me down and he had, he had this huge oak tree in their front yard and the whole bottom, the whole base of the oak tree was covered in watermelons about three high wow. all the way around it, you know. He's, I don't know, you don't eat these things, but take four or five of them to work with you, hand them to your customers. <laughs> He's trying to offload all these watermelons but they rotted, you know. And so I threw, I threw four or five in, in the trunk of the car. I got to the shop and I just took them out and set them next to the, at like three steps going up into the building. I set them out there next to the steps and like <laughs> the first four or five people came in that day. What's the these watermelons out here? You selling those? I'm like, no, if you want one, grab it. Are you serious? <laughs> grab it and go. Man, they're, they're not cheap, man. Those people yeah. felt like, man, I really appreciate that. So yeah. my grandfather grows them. He's trying to get rid of them. Well, bring me any more he's got, you know. Uh, it's just the way he was. If, if, if you really needed something, uh, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, from school, from college, I, I met in college and come to find out his grandmother, his grandmother had been getting collard greens from my grandparents for years. Wow. You know, because she would, she, she saw what my one day she, and they were standing out there. She was, you got some pretty collards. Grandpa said, I'll go cut you some. He went and got a knife in a bag and cut her up some and handed them to her. Wow. And once he, once they found out that I was, I was talking to her son, if I was going out his way, that made me stop and get, Collard and turnip greens take to them. Yeah. And it's just the way people, people are. Yeah. Because they, they knew what it was like growing up where everybody had to help each other. Did they grow up depression era? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice that in a lot of, not all, but a lot of depression era grandparents is that um, they, ha- I mean, to survive or to get ahead, you had neighbors that you had to count on or, you know, that you had to share with and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm blessed right now to know my neighbors. Right. Uh, not all of them. But a couple key neighbors, right? Well, last time we came up, we were sitting out there having a little fire pit, and the dude showed up with his dog. You know, we'll right. sit there and talk for a while. Right. And, and it's good to have neighbors like that because although we're probably not as close as neighbors were in your grandpa's day or that I had growing up, because I, I had neighbors that were like family to me growing up where their parents could discipline me and things, you know, <laughs> you know, just things like that. And, and uh, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, but there's a lot of comfort that comes with it too. And, you know, there's some people that are so inside their own lives, inside mm-hmm. themselves, that they uh, they don't have the experience of sharing and giving. And it does take some, it takes some personal sacrifice to do that because you have to give yourself to give to somebody else. Um, but with that caveat, just uh, there's there, we love givers. Um, but the givers got to be careful because the takers don't care. They'll just keep taking. Absolutely. So, you know, give intentionally, 
but don't let people take advantage of your don't generosity. Don't yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because the takers will always take. You know, the givers love to give, and it, it means something to them, but the takers don't care. Right. So. Uh, let's, let's go back to the scams for a second. Sure. Um, I, we can go on tangents all day long. I'll talk to you. I mean, we're already – Hour and a half in, we're, really? we're having a good time. Wow, <laughs> don't feel like that, does it? No, um, I think it's because I don't ever get to I don't get to see you face to face. When we get to talk, we get to talk talk. Yeah, um, I saw a, a breakdown. Somebody had posted maybe on Reddit or Facebook or something, and um, you need to give because you, you come from a military family. Yes, um, these car lots who who were set up like like at Fort Bragg in Georgia. When it's just like right outside the base, there's like car lots. This is Mustangs and Camaros, <laughs> Challengers, oh, yeah. and everything else. Manly cars. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, you know, hey, man, you got to check now. Once you come on in and pick up this Mustang at 21% interest. <laughs> exactly. No, so usually when that happens, there's a couple different things that are at play. People want oh, something. Wait a it's oh. not Fort Breck. It's Fort Benning, Georgia. My bad. I apologize. You're all heroes. Go ahead. <laughs> A couple things happen, okay? First of all, you're either getting somebody that's that's never had a financial education before. No one's ever sat down with them because maybe these airmen or these uh, marines or these... Uh, sailors or soldiers. Sailors, whatever they are. Maybe no one's ever helped them understand, and this might be the first time they've ever had money. Yeah. Literally. This is my, They might have grew up dirt poor. They may not have had access to information. Not that people can't get on the internet, but I'm talking about financial education. You know what I mean? This might be the first time someone has made them Handed feel them a check. made them feel important by giving them money right. and allowing them to make a choice well people know that right and so that's why you see you know dealerships like that and also predatory and uh predatory like um uh cash your check here you know or get a right. get a quick loan whatever those are because what happens is you'll go buy that car and then you'll need formula with the with the girl you knocked up you, you got a new baby and uh, now you need formula but your car payment is is uh, due, so you have a seven hundred dollar car payment on a car that's only worth two hundred right. a month, and now you got to buy a formula. So I'll get a get a payday loan here. Now you're in a vicious cycle, right? So they usually set those up next to each other, and and I, I tested that before. I've driven down a certain area that I was the other night. I was talking. I was telling Matt and, and Addison, you guys know that road I'm talking about. And, oh yeah, we know that road. And if you if you drive down that road. You'll see those types of car dealerships and those type of payday lenders, and they're very close. Right. It's because you get hamstrung into those payments, and you really have to have an income stream or a money stream. Uh, so you, you get predatory lending. So, but on those military guys, you know, I feel so bad for them um, because they, a lot of them haven't had the proper edu- financial education. The first time they've had that much money or money, money at all. Period. Period. Yeah. And then I mean, I know some some kids that I coach little league football. Their first job. Was when they signed up for the National Guard, or they went, or they went and joined the Navy, or they went went to to the Air Force, or whatever it is. And then they've got this girl on their arm that says, "I love you." Before you, oh yeah, they were football or baseball star, basketball star. Before you deploy, let's get married, right? right? And then, <laughs> and then they take. No, I'm serious. Yeah. And then not only the girl thinks, well, all his money is my money, yeah. and then the guy's got no money, a seven hundred dollar car payment, you know, a predatory loan, baby on the way, baby now. on the way. I mean, yeah. so. You know, don't be in a hurry to buy something. 
It's kind of like what they put on the shelf right by the uh, or the aisle right before you check those out. Those impulse buys. Yes, yeah. impulse buys. You know, I don't need another fidget spinner or another candy bar or gl- water globe, but I'm going to buy it because it's 99 cents and it's right there, right? right. Just like these guys, you know, they're going to buy stereo equipment. And you've probably seen this at a pawn shop. They'll buy all this high-end stuff, and then now they don't have any money, so they have to come give their high-end stuff for half the price, and they never come back and get it. Right. It's not the pawn shop's fault, but it's it's no one educated them on how to buy you know a little bit less expensive equipment. Well, that's something we talked about. You know, today when we were at the at the game, um, you know, you you I've heard you say it a million times now. People need to be educated on how money works. Um, yeah, you learn adding and subtracting all that kind of stuff, but you don't know, you know. I, I, there's a, there's a whole thing online now. You, these people filming their kids getting their first check, and they tear it open and look at it, and like, where'd all my money go? Exactly. Like, you just been another libertarian. Exactly. <laughs> I worked two weeks for $184? <laughs> Who's FICA? <laughs> Why are you taking all my money? You know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love watching those videos, because that kid comes, that, that 16-year-old kid who gets his first check from bagging groceries for the last 25 hours that week. You know, when he could have been doing Fortnite dances and making TikTok videos. Right. Uh, he, he tears that thing. Like, oh, this is going to be so worth it. That I'm not getting, you know, I'm, I'm trading in clout for actual money. And he opens up that check and it's like less than $200. It's like, where did all my money go? And with the cost of anything these days, I mean, if a kid's making 185 bucks for two weeks worth of work, because, you know, they're working 20 hours or whatever. Right. That could be gone. In a, that could be gone on a <laughs> pair of shoes and a, and a date with your girlfriend. Yep. Or, or buying virtual currency for video games. Everything is you have to exactly you know, DLC for video games. or doing this, or, or like you were telling me, the guy that spent his fortune on uh, on that um, Candy Crush. Oh yeah, that was Good oh man. Lord. There was an Ask Reddit thread uh, a year or so ago, and it was asking financial advisors to tell stories about um, clients they saw just squander away their money. And this dude said it was like. Over the course of two weeks, uh, he watched he watched a client's account go from a hundred thousand dollars to nothing, and he was it was all spent through microtransactions and Candy Crush. Now you said when I mentioned that to you, you said that you would have shut that down in a heartbeat. Yeah, so that becomes a risk and liability to an institution could view that there. You have you have the um, like a financial. Uh, you have a duty, do you not? Yeah, you have a financial responsibility to kind of educate. First of all, you would call and say, "Hey, is this something that you did?" Second of all, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, because you got to, you know, are it's you not, smoking crack? It's none of our business, right? Like we don't care where you spend your money, at, but we're trying to protect people because maybe it's predatory. Maybe well, they you want to make know. sure that you have financial health, right? Maybe some Nigerian prince got a hold of and they're, they're taking five bucks at a time for all you know. You know, in in it become like I was telling you earlier. Those types of things become a stain on the institution because, hey, you let them, you know, do something something stupid, yeah, on something stupid, and you didn't even question if that was legitimate or question if it was, if they knew what they were, if they needed help with anything because people get stuck on stuff, you know. Yeah. So um, we would have, we would have had our our security. We call it, you know, whatever. I'm just going to call it security. We would have someone call and say, hey, Ango. Is this, you know, are you spending, are you okay? Are you, is everything, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on with the Candy Crush? Yeah. You know, oh, I didn't realize I was, you know, just bringing it to their attention sometimes gets their attention. Well, it's so easy just to 
click a button. Okay, mm-hmm. you can play some more now. Yeah. You know? And bef- I, I'm sure I've been sucked into my fair share of games. I'm I'm not above it. Yeah. Um. When, it, when Red Dead Redemption Two came out, I was stuck in that game. It was a story, you know, and I was just plastered to the screen. So what's going to happen next? I can see how somebody lay down at night in their bed, and they get their phone or their or their their tablet out, and they start playing a game. And oh, I'm not tired yet. Let me play. Let me get five more games. You know, play and play and play. Oh, let me get ten more games. Blah blah. blah. And in the course of an hour, they've went through seventy five hundred dollars just buying more games on this thing. Yeah, and what I and you know the reason why it's a risk to an institution's credibility or um, the customer, you know, is because. There, there's so much charge back with that. Like, hey, I didn't know what I was doing. I want my money back, right? Can they do that? So if, if they felt like it was, they got scammed. Like, I didn't realize I was doing ten clicks. I thought I was doing one click. Okay. When does Apple or Google or whoever did they go along with that? Well, that's why it's a risk, right? Because anybody for any reason can dispute anything. Okay. So if I if I went even if I did something, like if I had say say I had my daughter on a checking a joint checking account with me to teach her like a student checking account and she went and did this. Right. She did a thousand dollars on in your joint account on, on Candy Crush, right? I could say, Hey, I didn't give her permission. Even though it's joint, I mean and even though technically she has complete access to this her money is my money, my money is her money in a joint account, right? It's joint it's joint. But I could say, Hey, she's she's sixteen she didn't know what she was doing. She thought she was doing one click, but she did a hundred clicks, you know. That could make the bank look bad, like, oh, you know, we're just letting crap go through. And right. There's, there's some protections for the bank there too. I mean, cause they did it, right? But it still would make us look bad if that person went out in the community and said, they let, they, you know, we made a mistake and they stuck it to us. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's about the visual, even though legally they're obligated to the, to what they did, right? But, you don't want the community to think you're predatory and that you're just letting stuff happen. Just yeah. like, for example, I mean, I had customers before that had become severely overdrawn, and I had I had to like, make like on purpose. Well, yeah. Or they were just they were drawing just trying to make ends meet. They on purpose, like, gotcha. and it became a problem, right? And it's our job to protect the customer from themselves in those scenarios because there are some. There are some limitations there, like there's some algorithms and things like that when it comes to whether if, you know, to overdraft situation. But well, but the government could accuse us of being predatory to them if we allow them to get into an overdraft situation that they can't recover from. Well, sir, so we don't let that happen. Does the bank, I was say, does the, can, if I overdraw my account by $3, can I keep drawing money out of my account even if it's not there? Or does it go back to the overdraft protection thing? So man, there it's a big question. So after it varies from institution to institution. So think about it this way: if you look at regulation, e, it's a government regulation. Regulation right. e, which predicts it's it's a regulation that uh, is around everyday debit card purchases where you're swiping the card is present. Okay, um, and then you have those that are outside of that protection, which is like your subscriptions. Okay. Like, hey, I've got a subscription to Netflix. Netflix. Right. It's not protected under that, right? So if I if I am looking at my if I go to the ATM and I'm and I'm not smart enough to keep a ledger of what my running total is, and I say, oh, the ATM says I got five hundred bucks, so I'm gonna go buy groceries and go get my car fixed and then watch a movie, watch a movie, <laughs> and then my Netflix comes through. 
well, that's not protected by by the regulation. So, you know, even if you've opted out of everyday debit card overdrafts, that's going to go through and cause an overdraft, right? Right. And so, depending on your institution, that could be anywhere from twenty five to thirty five to forty bucks, depending on what institution you're at. Big institutions are more expensive. Uh, some institutions even do, hey, you've been overdrawn for five days, we're throwing another fee on you. So, Ooh, yeah, so damn, yeah, there, our mine doesn't do that, but there has there are institute well known institutions where on the fifth or third fifth or uh, third or fifth business day they throw what's called a recurring overdraft fee at you. So not only do they slap you with a with an item fee per item fee, but right. Now that you're in the hole and you can't recover, they throw in more sand on top. Right. So, wait, my, do they do it every third or fifth day, up, or just the first? I think they only do it. I think the institutions that I'm familiar with will do it up to three times. So you're just you're burying somebody already in debt, even in more debt. So this is what I tell people: always have something in place for protection, for overdraft protection, whether it's another account that you have that might. Like you were saying earlier, like a savings account. Like a savings account or some institutions allow you to use that institution's credit card. And for example, I mean, it's less expensive, even though there's a cost involved with it, it's less expensive than, say, for example, you had five items come through at $37, right? So you're in it for almost 200 bucks now. But if you did, if you had a credit card attached to it, if your institution allowed that and the fee was maybe a percent, like 5% of the advanced amount. Then theoretically, on three hundred bucks, what's five percent of three hundred bucks? Hardly anything. Yeah. Right. Hardly anything compared Don't to do math. Man. Right. Well, I'm just That's saying. Your right. <laughs> it's hardly anything compared to the per item fee. So. Right. People are like, well, I don't need that. I'm never going to overdraw. You don't know what's going to happen. You yeah, could end up in the hospital. Your payments could start coming. You could through. be in the middle of nowhere when your car nowhere. broke down. Exactly. So. So on those overdraft fees, though, what I, for example, I had this experience before where someone had. Lost a spouse, so they lost right off the bat. They lost half the family half income. income yep. Right? Did the bills change? No, no, because you still have set things. Got right? more bills. You got, got pay funeral costs. And exactly. Stuff. And this person ended up having some social issues mm. that caused them to spend a lot of money. Right. And um, it became a problem because they would get their they would get their fixed income. And then within a day or so, it would be gone, and they would still be out there spending money they didn't have. And I had to finally essentially fire the customer. Put the kibosh on it. Fire the customer because – and and it it was compassionate. It was like, hey, we don't want to hurt you. This is not right for you, and this is not right for us. It's not going to get any better until you get this under control. Yeah, so we can't – you can't be our customer anymore. Right. You know, And it's not because we don't like you. It's because you are not going to ever – and we went back and we fixed our end of it because we didn't want the the visual to be bad. So we right. went, ended up eating – A lot of costs. Some fees, right? Yeah. Some significant fees because it, it just it, – we, we were hoping it was going to get better, but it didn't. So out there um, – so if you're dealing with financial institutions, always look at the fees, even if you don't think they apply to you. Understand what causes fees. Understand how you can mitigate fees. You know, understand how you can what what your rights are, uh, how you're protected, how you're not protected, um, because no one wants a surprise. And you're going to feel more empowered if you know and in more con- more in control. And um, I hate 
I, you know, that, that fee income is good for institutions because they're making non-interest income. Right. But it's not intended to be predatory. It's intended to be because it's theoretically what a overdraft is, it's a short-term loan. Exactly. Right? So right. you're going to pay high interest. It's instead of paying high interest for a loan, you're, you're going to pay a penalty for us giving you, paying your item. Right. And, uh, you know, so yeah, anyway, I, I knew, uh, I knew someone uh, who no, is that train again? <laughs> right on time. <laughs> I knew I knew someone who uh, decided to start writing some checks that their account couldn't cash, and instead instead of writing, uh, they were writing checks to get cash. Also, writing checks for one or two items. So instead of writing one big check for whatever amount of money they, they wanted, they were writing like $20 checks for cash. And then they were going and like buying a couple books with this check and then buying a coffee with this check. So every, every one of those checks was its own overdraft fee mm. when they could have just got it one good time with a big amount of money and been done with it. Took that loan, a short term loan or whatever. But no, they went all over town, all over God's creation, writing these. I don't think any check was more than $20. Wow. And you'll see that a lot. And you'll hear people say, well, I bought this pack of gum and then I bought this, you know, rotor for my, for my car. And you charged me an overdraft fee on the pack of gum. I had the money in there for the pack of gum. Well, theoretically that's correct, but there's a, there's an order. That's why you want to know how your institution posts things. Right. Because there's an order of posting, and, and usually the thought process is the thing that cost the most was the most important to you. Mm. So we're going to pay that one Put first. Put that one first, mm-hmm. yeah. That's something that my bank is really good about, on the app especially. Um, it'll say, this is how much you've got. This is how much is in your account right now. This is how much you're going to have after all this pending goes through. Mm-hmm. It gives you, it gave me two breakdowns, and I can scroll down. That's pending, that's pending. That's, it was posted on this day. They're, they're really good about showing you Instead of saying, "Yeah, you got you know two grand in your account, it, but you really you only got eight hundred because you have you have bills you've paid that hadn't been posted yet." Exactly. And mine is really good about saying this is posted, but this is still pending. So this is what you got, but this is what you've really got after all the posts. And the rules have gotten so much better, honestly, with ACH transactions. Like some, uh, most in- institutions will post ACH transactions twice a day now. What is that? Like an automatic clearinghouse, like a direct okay, deposit gotcha. or direct withdrawal. Yep. Um, and so, for example, like, uh, you use your checking account to pay your credit card off. Okay. Okay. It used to take, you wouldn't see that show up in your checking account for three days. But, uh, what I've noticed lately, just individual, just personally is that, um, those transactions are showing up the next day. Yeah. They may not fully post, but you're able to view them. Right. And, uh, so it's getting more transparent, which it should be transparent. Absolutely. Um, and, and the systems that institutions use to, like, for example, it used to have a cutoff times and, you know, things would take forever. Now you're literally the equipment that was used in the back end is being used on the front end. So things are posting a lot faster. So that thing of I get paid on Friday, but I don't write this check on Wednesday. Don't do it, because when you when you hand someone a check, you really should have. I mean, it's going through. It's going through. <laughs> you need to have the money in there or some way to pay for it, right? Right. So, uh, I mean, I feel bad for it. Really, is true. 
unbanked people and poor people suffer a lot because they don't have the education and um, they they pay the high price for not having institutional checking accounts. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they really do. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Matt. You listen to some of the old GTS episodes. He was talking about being unbanked. I'm unbanked. I'm not, you know, he, he didn't get a bank account until pretty recently, maybe the last couple of years. You know, and I was the same way. We talked about it the other night when you were here. When I had my business, and that stuff went into a fire safe in top of my closet. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't put anything in the bank hardly at all. I saw no. Why would I? Why would I give my money to somebody else? Well, I don't know where it's going to go. You know, and I know you can defend that. And I understand it now. I do. You don't have to give me the. You don't have to. You have to berate me for that. One. Well, I, won't, I wouldn't berate you. I wouldn't berate you. But like you, you told when I said I use a fire safe. You're like, good. At least you use a fire safe because the house wouldn't end up. I'd have been. I'd have been broke, broke. I'd have had no house. I'd have had no money. I'd have been done. And the other side of that coin, like we were talking about before, is if you have any aspirations to to borrow money at all. Right. Like if you need to make a big purchase where you need to finance something, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's how much you can prove that you make. Right. And that that record keeping, a lot of, I have some experience with some people where they're like, where their accountant finagled, legally finagled them to have less tax exposure. Which on the front end is great, but now they can't borrow any money, mm. and they literally make great money. Well, it's a great when we've kind of went across the board. Let's go back into the finance stuff. Sure. What What do you think is the best way? Uh, let's say I'm like, let's say I'm like 18. Okay, I got my diploma in my hand, about to go to college. What's the best way to start building my credit so by the time I'm 21, 22, 23, get that first big career, big big no career job and I'm ready to buy a house and to get married and get a car. What's the best way to start building or when should I start building that? Should I start in college? Should I wait till I get out to start trying to build credit? And what's the best way to do it? Well, what I normally do with my, with my families, cause I call them families. Uh, if I have families that come to me and say, Hey, you know, Johnny, I'm here with Johnny cause we want to, he's going to go to college. We need to open a checking account so I can put money in there and he can spend it. You know, we have a holistic financial discussion. Is Johnny is is Johnny A capable of managing this? Is he responsible? Is he res- you know, you tell me. You know, I'm going to give you some options, some some suggestions, some uh, things that you might consider. But sometimes Johnny A is barely his prefrontal cortex is still ain't there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, and parents parents usually know that, like yeah. You know, we're going to give him a checking account, but, you know, this dude ain't ready for no credit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, so we have that family discussion. We, we give them the, the solutions that we have and, and how it works and help in families that I'm dealing with. I, I try to help them make a family decision because you don't want to send a kid out there thinking that he has a thousand dollars to spend because a credit card doesn't mean you have money to spend. Yeah. You don't have, that's not, that's not your money, right? That's, you're borrowing that. You're borrowing that. So what, what am I, if I'm going to, no, if, if Johnny B comes in and he's, you know, he's worked a couple summer jobs, he's worked, you know, the grocery store, worked for his grandpa, his dad, whatever it was, he has a good work ethic, he's going to have a part time job during school, uh, or maybe he's not going to have a part time job with, from school, but how are we paying for this? Well, you know, mom and dad's got a great job. We want Johnny to get the credit. For building the credit, but we're going to pay the bill for them, or this is how it's going to work. Okay, so Johnny, what you normally when you know, when you go out with your friends and you buy a cheeseburger or you buy a 
you know, this and that. This this probably isn't a great idea for the credit card. Right. But when you're gassing up to come home for the weekend, spend the 25 bucks on the gas and then pay it right off. You know, don't spend the $1,000 that you have available to you. You know, get a 100 or two on there from your normal things that you would pay cash for, like gas. Um, and remember, you got to pay it at the end of the month. you got to pay it at the end of the month. <laughs> it, it ain't free money. <laughs> exactly. And so we educate on that, right? So can this person, first of all, can they handle it? Second of all, wh- what's the purpose of it? Is it for just for emergency? Some parents want their kid to have a credit card in case they're coming home, they get a flat tire, mm. and they need to, and they need a $400 tire or $400 worth of tires. Right. And towing or towing, or, or yeah, whatever, assistance, whatever, whatever it is, right? Because you may not be able to do that with a debit card. You really might not be able to because they may not have four hundred dollars in the checking account, right? right? So those are things that we discuss. Like what what are we going to be doing here with this card? What is what are you trying to do? And what's your goal in the next few years? Well, you know, I'm going to do my undergraduate, and then I'm going to get my master's, or go to go become a doctor. I'm going to go to medical school, and I'm you know I'm about you know so. What kind of what kind of profession are they going to be in? How long are they going to be in school? Things like that. And then what is going to be their need in the next three to five years? Right? Are you going to be purchasing a car in the next three to five years? Are you going to be purchasing a house in the next six months to three years? What what are you trying to accomplish in this time frame? Because that'll give us an idea of what we need to do to prepare. Because you need first of all you need to have a trade. We call it, we call it credit trades. So you need to have a trade on your credit report. And theoretically, you want to have multiple different types of trades. Okay. So, you you know, for example, your credit score will theoretically look better if you've got a mortgage trade, an auto trade, uh, a, a credit card trade, or a revolving line is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you may have, you may have a fixed loan trade. So you, you, different trades mean I'm out here, I'm responsible, I'm paying my stuff, right? Or theoretically I'm paying my stuff. And then you want to pay on time. You don't want to get... And the big thing that I tell people is you want that cushion. Most creditors look for a 43% debt-to-income ratio, which means not how much money you make every year, per se, but how much money you're bringing home every month versus how much you got going out every month. Gotcha. So, you know, you want that to be less than 43%. They, of, they want to see that you've got more on hand than you're spending. Right. And so, you know, if if in a perfect world, someone might save 10%, they might spend you know, 30% and they'll have that cushion there. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So what is Johnny going to be buying? What is it? What are, what are his needs going to be in the next few years? And then is mom and dad going to help you manage this? Are you on your own? Are you on your own? Right. So they also have, there's, there's so many card choices out there. There's actually a card choice that I'm familiar with where you can go and, and a lot of these kids are tech savvy anyway. So you can go right on to, the the institution's website and you can preset these this feature where you can tell the credit card uh whether you want that purchase to be to literally go on the credit card statement as a credit purchase or if you want that credit card purchase to go uh out of your checking to come out of your checking account so and you can and you can move back and forth on different types of industries, dollar amounts, things like that. So, for example, if you don't if you want to get the uh the appearance of using the card and the credit for using the card and the uh maybe the points or the the rewards. So it's like like a credit debit card then. Well, it's a credit card, but you can tell that you can link maybe a checking account to it and you gotcha. can and you can say 
when this transaction comes through, I want that to really be pulled from my checking Debited. account. And when this transaction comes through, because I bought a TV at Best Buy, I really want that to rest on the credit side. Gotcha. And I want to get a bill for that. Does that make sense? Right. So, so theoretically, as you grow, you can move, you can change that ebbs and flows because you can go in there and manipulate that and change what. Well, is you that want. a good way to help kickstart your credit line? It's a good. It's a good way to start because people, if if really Johnny only has, is only going to spend twenty five bucks a month. You know, or you know, every time he's going to get his gas, and he really doesn't want to have to worry about whether or not he paid the bill. He can have that pulled right from the checking account. So those types of cards are really good. They're they're where to to toggle back and forth. And um, uh, what about like small loans? Let's say like I'm 18, and I opened a checking account when I was 16, uh, when I got my first job. Say I got a job at Kroger or whatever. And they, I don't even know if they still have bag boys at Kroger. I, I started off, my, my, my first real job was, was uh, being a bag boy at a at a local uh, grocery store. Bag up the groceries, take them out for, for the, you know, for people, and put it in their car, the whole thing. So let's say I go to, say like, say like you've got a bank, a little role play in here. It's a local bank or a credit union, whatever it may be. And when I was 16, I came in with my first check and you helped me open that account. So for the last two years, I've always and I've never had an overdraw, never had never overdrawn anything, anything like that. And I'm getting ready to go to college. Could I come in and be like, hey, let me? Could, can I get a loan for like a thousand or two thousand dollars to help with moving costs, or to you know, I've got enough to pay tuition, but I need a little bit for my room and board. Is that something that a bank will a bank loan that small of an amount as a personal loan? Every bank has. I don't know. It's all. No, every different. bank has different thresholds, right? But for this specific scenario that you're role playing with me right now, first of all, I would find out, okay, what's the end game? Are you buying these books once or these things once? Like I want a one-time payout with a fixed payment to pay it off in X amount of months. Right. And I don't want it. I, I never want to use that money again. Okay, let's say, yeah, I'm, I want to get two grand to cover my books. Okay. And, and, and I may do it again. I may do it once in the next four years to help cover my book costs. Then I would say, hey, I would say – Hango, it looks like it looks like you're going to have an ongoing need for this money, uh, and you're not going to know how much you're going to need or when you're going to need it. So theoretically, I would ask you let's let's see if we can get you a, a small line of credit, maybe a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. That way, that way you can borrow what you need, and you're not paying on what you're not using. Because if you, if you take a fixed term loan, you're going to pay on it even if you're not using the full amount. Because right. they're going to disperse it to you, and you're going to be paying on it right away. If it's a line of credit, you're only going to be paying on what you're using. And then once you pay it back, it's available to you again. So on a student, you know, I would be real leery to go past thousand to two thousand bucks right. just because you don't want someone getting in trouble with that. Well, is that a good way for somebody young to start building their Absolutely. credit? Absolutely. You're cool with that? Absolutely. Because that's considered a that's considered a revolving trade. Okay. And without a credit card, though. Without yeah. without a credit card. I've heard I've heard horror stories of people getting credit cards and just wiling out, you know, <laughs> you know, in, in some institute, all institutions are a little bit different, but what in your, in that scenario, you just mentioned this revolving line of credit theoretically versus a credit card is access. So the piece of plastic in your pocket, you can just wield like Swap a sword. Away. Yeah, you're just, <laughs> you're just swiping like, Cut them up. Right? but theoretically, if you have to walk into your financial institution and say, Hey, transfer this 
hat in hand. Could I please have a little bit more? Can money? you transfer my five hundred dollars into my checking account? I mean, this day and age, it's going to be on an app, right? But even with an app, you're going to see that visual. Okay, do I really do I really need this five hundred dollars to go from this available amount to something I'm going to be paying on? Because it's a visual, right? With a yeah. card, you're just psh, swinging it like a sword, right? Thinking you're slaying dragons when really the dragons are slaying <laughs> you, right? So, but you know. I, I like that line of, I use that. And so I had a, just a real life scenario. I had a, so I had somebody come into my institution and, um, for, for whatever reason, everything was happening at once. Young college kid, tuition was due. Like, if you don't put the tuition on the table now, you may not, we're going to give your spot away or whatever. Right. And he had the money, but his car broke down. Oh. Okay. I mean, you got to be able to get to school. Yeah, and Doug, Doug per- chainsaws at that point. Yeah. yeah, and this person didn't live near family, so right. he's like, he's like, I got to get money like yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know what to do, right? And so we asked him lots of asked the person lots of questions, lots of questions, and um, they actually needed something like this, and they'll be able to use it ongoing for the next till they're out of college, right? It's not going to go away, and uh, they have that comfort of, hey, my institution took care of me. Mm. They gave me good advice. They didn't overdo it and try to sell me stuff I didn't need. Any institution that tries to sell you something you don't need, Upselling. R- run away. <laughs> recommendations are great. You want your bank to give you recommendations because you don't want to be the guy that said, well, why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. But what you don't want them to do is to sell you something you don't need. I don't need I, – and I love – I had a mentor, a retired guy, and the question came up a lot. Well, why, do we, why would we offer a credit card to somebody that's already got credit cards? And – very simple response. Well, we're not asking them to get another credit card. We're maybe asking them to make it more convenient and cost effective by using our card versus that card. Right. So not, not adding another credit card. Just options. Options to switch the card, right? So we're not trying to be predatory here and, and, and do all that stuff. But, you know, in this kid's situation, it really saved his bacon. Oh, yeah. You know? And, uh, um, and you, you, you got a customer for as long as he's around here, I'm guessing. Because of the emotional impact, right? right? Yeah. But if we would have just said willy nilly, I'll just get a credit card, instead of understanding what the real what was behind everything, right? So, and with the line of credit versus the credit card, if you have to get cash out to pay a person versus an inst- another merchant, you can get cash instead of having a piece of plastic if, if they won't take plastic. Like, you know, you go to a small car shop, they probably all take credit cards, but maybe this guy. You know, hey, old if, if you he give me cash. if you give me cash, I'll give you a thirty percent right. discount. You know, so then you have some options there. Uh, when it comes to car loans, yeah, uh, which is something that ninety percent of people have to have to do at some point in their life. For yes. the most part, I mean, some people are able to go use car to use car to use car and pay cash, which I think cash is always great, right? In my opinion, you know, the less I think, like like you said the other night. You're borrowing money against a depreciating asset. Asset, yes. And that is just like you're you're ringing the bell for me right there. You right. Know? Why would you pump money into something? Why would you put money, a lot of money, into something that you're more than likely going to lose money in on the far end? Yeah, and I tell people, I tell people to consider this when they're thinking about buying a car because I get a lot of people that will tell me, "Hey, I'm just going to pay cash for that." Right. And I say, "Okay, so what is your end game? Are you going to keep? How long are you going to keep this car for?" Right. When, I, when I'm talking to people, well, this, in, in this, there's so many different scenarios, right? And, and I'll get some people to say, well, this is my last car. I'm, I'm 60. 
Gotcha. I'm going to drive this car till literally, the wheels the, fall. and I'm never buying another car, right? Yeah. Literally. And I want to pay this off in four or five years. And then, or I mean, I want to buy this outright so I don't have a payment and, and I'll keep this forever. I have some people that say, Hey, in four or five years, I want, I, I want, don't want to have a payment and I'm going to keep it for another five years. And then after the 10 year mark, I'll get a new car. And then well, I was going to say, do you see a lot of people who were like brand new married and, and one of them want to go buy like, a sports car, and they're like, "Oh, this is like my dream car. I want to get it." And then a year later, they come back in, like, "Yeah, well, she's pregnant now. We can't get a, we can't get a baby in the back of the sports car." Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And or people think that's what they want, and it's not really what they want. Yeah, because it, what what their what their allure is is the social aspect of I mm. look cool or I want to go fast. If it's something you need to get off on, go rent one for a week. Get your jollies. You can go to Vegas and rent Ferraris and yes. Lamborghinis and Porsche and yes. everything else. Don't buy and tear ass through the desert. Yeah, don't buy the uh, the Hellcat when all you can afford is a Yugo. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So that's a lost <clears throat> reference on a lot of people. They don't know what a Yugo is. <laughs> We're showing our age now. I know. Uh, basically, a skate of any kind. Uh, a Yugo was a car, a, a very very cheap car that was built in India to help. Uh, support their population, their booming population. It's a very small, it was a very economic car. Very economic. I mean, like 80 miles of the gallon in the early 80s, you know. Um, but after 10,000 miles, the engine was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> after 10,000 miles, the thing was held together with Band-Aids. Yeah, that was termites holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you, you said something the other night that really struck me. I've always told, you know, a lease is a fleece. You're, you're being fleeced if you lease a car. Well, I, ha- I had a really good conversation. Same same mentor that I had. Okay, this okay. person was in uh, this person was in retail banking for f- over forty five years. Okay, and saw everything from when retail banking actually became a thing. Because before it was just every bank was its independent thing, right? But right. then you had branch banking. So he he was from the forty five years ago. Okay, and I and I asked him. I said, "Hey, the person I won't say his name on on the air, but uh, what's the difference between buying a car and a lease?" He's like, "How long you're going to keep it?" He's like, they're the same. It's the same exact thing. I mean, when it dollars and cents wise, depending on whether you're going to keep the item or not, it's, it's relatively the same thing. Now, if you're going to pay it off, keep it and drive the wheels off of it or keep it for a period of time, it, it, there's a difference. Yeah. But what I found is just from my own personal experience, um, I decided two cars ago. So this car and my last car to start leasing. Uh, and the reason why I did that is there's, there's, it's twofold. So for my particular situation in the state of Missouri, there is um, sales tax, and within 30 days of a purchase of a vehicle. So if I go if I go to the dealership and I purchase a vehicle for thirty thousand dollars, depending on my zip code, I have a specific percentage that I got to go to the DMV and pay taxes on within 30 days. So I, I need if I'm poor and I don't have ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, whatever it is that it costs to pay the taxes. Then I'm screwed. Then I'm driving out there without a vehicle, without a license, you know, without. How, how does how does uh? Let me interrupt you. It's okay. Uh, how does Missouri uh break down how much you is it based on the the blue book value of the car? Is it based on? There's an assessment on it, but the but the 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 initial sales tax. So we, as some of our Missouri oh, wait, friends know, you don't pay sales tax to the to, to the. To the dealership. The dealership does not take oh, your sales wow. tax. So you, so theoretically, if you're buying at the dealer, 
You're paying. You're paying. You're paying the note, the the sticker price. You're getting written up by the by the finance guy or whatever, and then you have thirty days to go and make so a sales tax. They won't put the tax in with not in Missouri. Oh my gosh, man! So so you got thirty days to pay. So some people that you know, poor people or people that have a life event or anything that happens and you're not prepared for that, that could become a problem. So right? And then every year you have a personal property tax on something you already own, right? Based on the current year's valuation. This is paying like your tag or your registration, or right? no? It's more. Oh, than it's that. more than that. So every piece of uh, motorized equipment, trailer, RV, or you know anything that's a trailer. First of all, a boat, an RV, Forerunner, or uh, Wave Runner, four wheeler, anything like that, car, uh, just not a lawnmower. You're not, not going to pay right. a lawnmower. But anything that's this road. That's right. Yeah. They're going to assess a value, whether you've bought it outright or you've owned it for ten years. If there's a value to it, you're getting taxed on it, and they're going Damn. to they're going to send you a list that says, "Do you still have you owned this as of January, whatever date it is? I can't remember now, January thirty first or December thirty first or whatever it is, December thirty first, and uh, um, you have a list and you have to put an odometer. You have to either go online and tell what the odometer is." Or say you don't own it still, and then you're assessed a tax by December, you owe by December 31st of that year. And so, great, at Christmas time, now I gotta hand my money oh. over, you know? And it really sucks, but th- so back to why I, I personally at least now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I keep no, it's okay. you off. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. So, in my specific situation, I'll just caveat that. Okay. I said to myself, self, that don't sound fun. So, I'm going to find a loophole. And so what I did is, so when you lease a car, there's a use tax. Okay, so you're you're always going to pay the man, but um, the leasing company is going to charge you a use tax, and that's how they compensate that. And it's like ten bucks on the on the note every month or something like that, whatever it is in your specific situation. But I don't have to show up and pay a sales tax on it. Oh, so there's no sales tax on the lease then. So you're saving it, that money. In my circumstance, there's not. I don't. I can't speak for everyone's circumstance. But right. This is why I did it. Okay. And the this, second, this is a Missouri specific. Exactly. Yeah, got you. And so, and you'll see a lot of lease on commercials. You know, three thousand dollars down, two hundred dollars a month. Well, in my circumstance, I'm willing to pay a little bit more monthly because I'm not going to pay three thousand dollars down on a depreciating asset. That's right. just not what I'm going to do. So I will because in my in my scenario, I'm only going to hold the car for. Two to three years, no, no more than three years. Okay, and I'm going to say to myself, self, you can pay three fifty nine, three sixty a month for three years, and then I calculate that, and that's about how much I want to pay for that car. Okay, and then I want a brand new car. Okay, Does that makes sense mm-hmm. because if I buy that car for twenty five thousand, and by the time I'm paying for it, it's only worth a couple thousand. You know, I'm being facetious, but not very much. No, I understand what you're saying. Then when yeah. I trade it in. I'm getting hardly anything out of it, and I'm doing it all over again. Yeah, and I just want a new car every few years. So I think also where we're different at, uh, you live in the city. You're the city mouse on the country mouse, right? Um, <clears throat> so your mileage to work, your mileage to get groceries, your mileage to anything is a lot lower than someone like me. Where if you're going to go to the city, you know. It's a minimum of you know, fifty miles each way, and the the mileage the mileage is not um, conducive to conducive lease. to leasing if you live in a rural area. Exactly like my parents, they I they loved my scenario so much they were going to try it. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. But my mom drives the crap. Out. <laughs> they, well, my mom and my dad, they, my stepdad, they, they share a car. Right. Because for a long time, my dad was provided a car for the thing that he did. Right. Okay. And so when he retired, that went away and they had been used to that for so long that they just, it wasn't in their budget to do two cars. You know what I'm saying? So, I had this, you know, my, they loved what I had to say and they'll let us try this, but they did, they were, they were driving way more than I was. And so they were like, we drove these miles within, you know, a short period of time and now, now we're screwed or whatever, you know? So I said, well, every, that's why everyone's situation is different. So right. this time around, they went ahead and bought the car and they've already put an ass load of miles on it. You know what I mean? Like they'll, they drive. I mean, they might as well be doing a United States loop. That's how much they drive. You know what I mean? So, so it just depends on your situation. I, I would like, you cannot blanket any experience like everybody always, everyone, because everyone's situation is different, right? Well, it's like investing. You know, you, yeah. you have to, you have to determine what your own, uh, risk factor is going to be. So what I like to tell people when, when, when you're purchasing a car is, not just can you afford the car right now because you may have a job, but what happens if you lost your job tomorrow? Can you afford this car? And you really need to think about that because the bank, when I say the bank, I'm talking about the man, mm-hmm. doesn't care. No. Uh, and you don't want your credit to be ruined over something stupid. So buy the car that you can afford, but buy it the right way. And we were talking about these buy here, pay here. Don't just think that's your only option. Walk into your financial institution that you perhaps have a relationship with and say, based on all the factors that I'm about to tell you, what do I, what, what do you think my qualification is? Can I afford a $10,000 car? Can I afford a $20,000 car? And what kind of interest rate can I get here? Can I walk over to car lot A and hand them a check and drive away right, with, with it? A, right? with a, they signed whatever in hand. Exactly. Instead of, you know, I want to leave the parking lot in the next hour with this car. Can you get me out of here with it? Oh, yeah, we can get you out of here with it. You can slap you with a 30% loan okay. upside down 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. that's. Um, you mentioned you should be wary of people like at banks who are trying to sell you something that you don't need. Right. Not offering it, but doing a hard sell to it. Right. All right. Um, I never owned a new car until – Six years ago. Okay. Uh, when I got that Challenger. Mm-hmm. I drove it off a lot, had 112 miles on it. You know, Good feeling, right? Felt great, you know. I had, had, it, had it, I've, you know, I got, had, got a job where I could actually afford, I had a car payment in forever, you know, because I had, um, I had a, I had a Buick that, that I paid cash for, and then we got a, a G, I had a car payment with a Jeep. Uh, it was like 200 bucks a month. It was, it was used. It was like a, like a 98 Jeep Wrangler. Uh, Jeeps, if you're listening, Jeeps hold their resale value very well. And they, so do full size trucks. Right. They will depreciate, but they seem to hit a, a limit to where, right. A lot of guys. Jeeps and full size trucks. A lot of people in my neck of the woods, they either take Jeeps as farm trucks just to tool around on the 40 acres or whatever, mm-hmm. or they take them and convert them into rock crawlers or mud, mud trucks or whatever. So yeah, the, you know, I, I got a pretty good return when I traded the Jeep in compared to what I paid for it. I was I was, I was really surprised. Um, but I got that when I was gonna buy that car, I had never sat down in a 
uh, at a dealership finance office. Right. Oh, my God. It's an <laughs> you, know, you know where I'm going right? with this? Yeah, it's an experience, right? <laughs> so I sit down, and the guy starts pitching all this stuff to me. I'm like, well, before before we got this, Tinka got a new car. I told you that experience of the day when they were trying to. Yes. Uh, my wife, Tinker, was trying to pick out pick up this car, and it was a Chrysler 300, and she was trading in her SUV, and um, they went and did, and, and she has really good credit. And they went and ran her information. The guy came back and said, hey, you're looking good. We got you this. this is what we're going to do. But we're going to need a little bit more down after she'd already traded in the SUV. We told you about this. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I can do. I was like, no. Nope. I said, let's, let's go. And we got up. But before we got back to her truck, he's like, if I can get you to this, can, can you know, without putting any more down, can you do? Oh, yeah, we can do that. And we came back in, signed the papers, and it was done. So, yeah. They pitched so much stuff to me buying that car. You want cap insurance? Do you want extra coverage? Do you want this? Do you want is any of that stuff worth picking up in your opinion? So yes and no. Okay. As most of these answers have been so far. Exactly. <laughs> it depends. So what ha- most people get the short end of the stick when they do no research mm. and when they're not prepared. That's anything in any part of life, right? You're going to have to accept what you get if you do no research and you're not prepared. So gap insurance is very important when you're buying a new car. You want to explain gap insurance to everybody? So gap insurance is an insurance that you take out so that the gap between what your loan amount is when you buy a brand new car and what the value is if you total it. So if you're into the car three years and you bought the car for thirty grand, but now it's only worth... 15 grand, but you still owe 18, 20 grand, then you're covered. Your, your loan is covered with that gap. So, or if you drive off the lot and get T-boned, you drive off the lot and get T-boned. Usually with gap insurance, usually they'll give you, they'll forgive the loan because that's the gap and they'll give you a thousand bucks to get started on the next one. Usually, usually. And that's not all policies, but what I, why I say that it's, it's important to do your homework and do some research. Call your insurance company. There you go. And say, hey, uh, if I buy a new car today, can I get gap insurance from you? And how much is it? Versus, yeah, I'm going to buy the policy at the dealership where they're going to upsell it to me and charge me an extra $500 on top of what the cost of the insurance is. Mm. Right. So I had a great experience when I lived, uh, in, in a different, state. in a different state. Yeah. And, uh, the credit union that I was a part of, I called and said, Hey, if I buy this car today, can I come in after I sign the paperwork and get gap insurance or can you just add it right now? I'm like, Oh yeah, you just add it. We'll just add it right now to the back end of the loan and you come sign for it. Oh, so you were getting the in, the gap insurance through your credit union yes. and they just, they just lumped it in with the loan you were getting. From yes. Them. Cause I called, I said, should I, I said, I don't really want to buy the policy that the dealer's offering me. Can I do it through you, through whoever you use? And, and I called my, I called my insurance company too. And it, I liked it better because if, for example, I didn't want the gap insurance anymore or wasn't going to use it, I could, I could, they could sell it back to me. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, I could, I could, uh, sell Take it back it to them. Yeah. So, uh, but do your research because a lot, the finance guy is a banker. He's a predatory banker. Right. <laughs> well, he's a salesman. I mean, he, he really he might is be in a the salesman. Fi- he might be in the finance office, but he is just, Tacking on and getting maybe get a little and cut. There should be no shame in his game because oh no, because he's trying to make money. He's a company man. He's a company man. He's trying to make money, 
but also you're trying to you're you're trying to balance out how much money you can save versus how much you're going to spend on. Now, you know, if you're leasing a car, okay, I'll just throw this in here, and the finance guy says, "Hey, for an extra uh, four hundred bucks for the life of the lease, we'll cover you on leather interior." Because you know you, you accidentally cut the leather interior, you're gonna have to buy us a whole new seat. Right. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm paying the I'm paying the four hundred <laughs> because leather is very and tricky. Reupholstering leather yes. is gonna cost you a heck of a lot more in the, in the long term. Yeah, and then sometimes they'll throw in, "Hey, you got these nice wheels on this lease. You know, if a wheel gets dented, you're gonna owe us a new wheel. Yeah. So do you want a one fifty for for the life of the lease? Those are add-ons that you should choose, but not feel forced to do. But also know that they fair warned you. Yeah. Right, so you you're fair warned, right? Um, we're getting off on a bunch of tangents, but no, man, do it, go, okay, go, please, I, yeah. You're, I'm, I'm, this, this is stuff people need to know. But, but when you're buying a car, so if you're not going to go to your local home financial institution where you bank, okay, to get your loan, and you and you want the satisfaction or the joy, whatever that is that makes you tick, to go to the lot and drive off today, or maybe have some, you know, some. Uh, patience and maybe not have to drive it off today right so if you want to drive it off today you're probably going to get screwed yep you're probably going to get screwed if you can have some patience and you're going to and you can plan and you can prepare then you can make the best choice possible and then you're in control so the sales guy who's selling you the car the guy that you and tank were working with and who came back and said hey we can do it for this he's got a quota he's got to sell x amount of cars over a certain period of time to feed his family He's looking for another job. Or he's looking for another job. The the finance guy has got to upsell you enough stuff and make your interest rate attractive to the dealership so that he can make the dealership enough money so he can get paid. So when you're doing all this research, the only person that cares about you as much as you do is you. Mm-hmm. They don't care about you. No. They, it's one, they, want, to, they want to do the deal. They're a business. They're a business. They're not a charity. So if you do some research and you say, okay, if I go to my bank and I want a five-year loan on thirty grand, they are going to give me a range of rates until I'm approved. You know, And then based on my credit score, income, you know, all that kind of stuff, I'm at a three and a half, three point five nine, 3.59. And so I know that. I'm pre-approved. And then I can I can go into the in, to the uh, – to the dealership and say, Hey, I want car X and I'm willing to pay 29,000 for it. I already have my financing. I don't want to haggle with you. Can we get the deal done? Right. Then you're in control. Yes or yes. Yes. Which one is it? <laughs> yes. If you go in there and what they'll do to you, if you just go in there without preparing is they'll, what they'll say is, Hey, Hango, how much you want to spend? How much can you afford every month? <laughs> because guess what? That's not about an interest rate and that's not about a dollar amount. That's get that's maximizing how much they can milk out of you, right? So they're they're going to strategically plan around your answer. So that's why you got that guy sitting in the in the podium at the at the sales manager who they're going back and forth to, because what they're going to do is they're going to run your credit on the computer, and who whatever dealer financing they work with, which is a multitude of finance companies, including yeah. banks and credit unions, they're going to shoot that out. Yeah, when you go, they're not talking to GMAC or Capital One. They're putting it out there to, to to what ten, twelve different whoever, yeah, who, whoever's on their platform, right? Right. And they'll get several different answers. Okay, this is a known fact. You can fact check this. They're going to get several different answers from different institutions based on how they operate. And and institution A will say, hey, you know, in, uh, we're going to give Hango a four and a half percent for five years. 
uh, institution B is going to say, we'll give Hango 5% for three years or 5.3% for five years or for 84 months, we'll give him 6%. And then, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And the dealer will say, okay, what's the best? What's You're good. You're good. What's the best one for us? Did it cut out on you? Yeah, it cut out on I'm me. sorry. It's okay. Well, hang on, hang on I think second. I knocked it around. So the dealer will say, hey, what's the best one for us? Okay, so this is the best one for us. And uh, so Bank C said, Hango, we'll give you the loan at uh, 3%. Okay, so then the finance, the, the guy selling the car to you say, Hango, guess what? We got you this awesome loan for 4.5%. Right, and their margin is one and a half percent. Right, so they're going to go back to the bank and say, "Hey, we actually wrote the deal for four and a half percent." And so the they're the, skimming one and a half percent. That's that's what they're they're buying up the rates. What it's right. called, and so they're buying up the rate. And you really, if you would have went to the bank yourself, you would have gotten three and a half percent, three percent, whatever in theory. And they're going to charge you four and a half percent. And guess what? They're going to tell you you can't refinance this for six months. Or this is not a, this deal won't go through or whatever deal they're telling you to get you get a five hundred dollar cash back or whatever, but you got to have this loan for six months. Nope, do what's right for you. You can refinance the same day, right? You know, or pre-plan and go and finance the car yourself with your institution and get a good rate. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with you know I, I deal motorcycles and whatnot. Uh, are you familiar with Harley Davidson at all? Yes, and and like your brother-in-law rides. My brother-in-law rides Harley, and my best friend in and. In Oklahoma, his whole family rides. Harley. Okay, I, I didn't know he he rode. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with their lending? I'm familiar with what the cost of a bike <laughs> is. <Yeah. laughs> okay, so, um, I've never taken a loan out on a bike. Yeah, to to get one because you bought with cash. Yes. Okay. Good job. So because they're toys. Yes. I don't care unless you are using it as a commute bike. If that's if that's the if you're a person and you're able to ride a motorcycle 100 percent of the time, right? More power to you. Exactly. If, if that's your mode of transportation, if that's uh, you, you have to get right up on that mic. It, I'm it good. Will, it will cut. You're good. <laughs> okay. You're good. I'm pulling it with my arm. <laughs> Let's move. Hang on a second. You got. You're working with short people here. <laughs> what are you hitting the mic? The uh, I'm, headphone cord. I keep uh, I keep busting this thing out here. There we go. There we go. I'm good now. I'm just messing up here. Toys. No, you're fine. Just moving around if you need to. Yeah. Um, some uh, there are a group of people who live in states where they have year round riding weather. Arizona, Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, right? Uh, California, Nevada. Those people can ride all year long because they have. 320 days of sunshine a year. You know? Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's a, it, they're great on gas. As far as, as far as gas mileage, you're getting, you know, 40, 35 to 40 miles per gallon, especially if you're commuting in the city. It's a fantastic way because you're able to park anywhere. You can go in and out of traffic. Especially in California, you can lane split, go to the front of the line instead of sitting in traffic all day long. Um, but Harley, when you go, if you go to, to the Harley Davidson dealership, and I love Harley Davidson bikes. I mean, where else can you spend $50,000 on not, on 19th century technology? You know exactly. what I mean? You're paying 21st century prices for, for some parts that didn't change since the inception of the company. And then you got to pay extra to get the parts changed out that you want. <laughs> exactly. If you want, if you, if you want new exhaust, 
if you want chromed out stuff. Because who wants that that pussy stock exhaust? Exactly. You know? <laughs> And so I want you to know that I paid fifty thousand. <laughs> want you to hear me coming from two miles away? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's say I'm going to go buy something from the soft tail line, which is like their their mid range. Gotcha. Okay. That bike, a soft tail. I think a soft tail custom, a new soft tail custom, is going to be right around fifteen thousand dollars. Gotcha. Okay. That's that's your mid range. That's that's the bottom tier bike in the mid range. Gotcha. Now, if I want to go to a touring bike. Right. We're starting around 22,000 and we go up to 50,000. Right. Depending on what bells and whistles you want put on it. And I haven't even added a trailer yet. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. This is just your ass in a seat. Gotcha. And a stock seat that ain't worth a shit. You're going to have to buy a new seat too because gotcha. the one they put on it out of the factory is comfortable for about 20 miles. Gotcha. It's good enough for a test drive. Right. You know, and if you're going to buy a touring bike, and guess and what? They, they have the seat right there in the shop for you to buy. <laughs> they have that one thing Hardy does do. They have a seat rental program. Nice. So you could try different, you can rent a seat for a week and try it out. If you want to buy it, come back and buy it. If not, trade it in for another one. Gotcha. Um, but so if I go to Harley and I am some nefarious person, but I've got money and I have zero credit or if I've, if I have shot my credit, if my credit score is like 200, <laughs> if it's that bad. Okay. Right. Harley will write me a loan like that. Really? Harley has their own bank. Okay. Bank Let's, of Harley. So after it's called like Ride America or something like that. So if I'm just some, you know, scooter trash, you know, white, <laughs> white bread guy with a trailer, you know, I ain't got a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, Harley will gladly write me a loan on a $17,000 soft tail. Wow. And heartbeat. And they'll do it for 20 years. 20 years on a bike? A 20 year loan on, on a, on a $17,000 bike. Wow. $50,000 bike. We'll write that loan for 25 years. What kind of interest do you pay on that? 24%? Oh, yeah. You're looking at, you know, 17 to 30%. Because they know, Harley knows their clientele. And, you can say whatever you want to about Harley, but they have got the hooks in their customers because it's a, it's, they have branded themselves as a lifestyle brand. Gotcha. And you know, I learned to ride on, on a Honda. Honda makes fan, makes bulletproof bikes. Okay. You know, just great, good engines. You know, just it's, you know, it's Japanese engineering. Okay. Dependable bike. Suzuki makes a great bike. Uh, Triumph out of England makes a fantastic bike, but everybody in America wants a Harley because it's a status symbol. Just because you know it's you know Harley, Freedom, America, gotcha. Screaming Eagle, you yes. know <laughs> the whole the whole the whole machismo type thing. I like Harley because I like Harley. I, I, I like the style, I like the design, um, and that they're comfortable for big guys. You know, I've always wanted a trike. Trikes are sweet. I've always, I, I, always wanted to try. But if you want to get expensive, yeah, that's their top. Well, that's why I don't have one. Exactly. <laughs> trikes are, you know, 35, 40 grand. Go up, it's up to 50. Yeah. But depending on what, on what you get on. But yeah, Harley knows they can write that loan to a guy whose trailer he lives in is cheaper than, than the bike he's right. It's, it's serious. These people will park a brand new, like a 2021 road glide touring bike 
in front of a single wide trailer from 1970. Right, with only like one window left in it. Exactly. The rest of them Duct tape front door right. on. Yeah. Exactly. Because Harley knows their clientele, and they know they can't go. Number one, they don't have a bank institution that they're that they work with because they, okay. they don't have any money. Gotcha. And so oh, the customer, the customer, customer. They know Harley. When that customer comes in, Harley goes. That guy does not have a bank account. He has no relationship whatsoever with anybody else that would possibly give him money. <laughs> no, now in your in your estimation, does this customer that you're describing pay his Harley note first before he eats? Before he pays oh, yeah. the tra- pays pays the trailer it, note, it, it, he'll it, get evicted before he doesn't it pay is the bike extension note. of his body. Gotcha. I'm not saying all Harley riders are like that, but there is a section of Harley riders that are so dedicated. They don't. I compare Harley Riders a lot of times to fans of Alabama, Alabama football. Yes, they don't have a single stitch of clothing that doesn't have the HD shield on it that they overpaid for. That they overpaid for, you know. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you when you see some guy riding down the interstate and you start salivating, if you're a motorcycle person like I am, and you're, you know. In your car or on your own bike, and they come tearing ass by you in a brand new, on a nice shiny street glide or road glide or whatever it might be. You think, man, I wish I had one of those. That dude's me paying on that probably till the day he dies. Wow. Can you think of anything? Okay, like, is it worth getting a loan? This is a rhetorical question. <laughs> is it worth getting a loan for a new Harley bass boat, Wave Runner? Side by side, is that worth getting all, putting yourself in debt over? I I wouldn't. First of all, I would never I would never buy a boat, and I'll tell you why. He's going to bust out another thousand. That's it. V O A T. So guess what? I can pay a thousand because I'm going to rent that. Because guess what? I'm really only going to the lake once or twice a year, if that. Because everybody that buys a boat is like, well, if I buy this boat. They have this, they, and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but they have this grand illusion that, hey, this is going to be some family time here. The whole family's going to come with me. We're going to be on the lake every weekend, all the time. We're going to get our money's worth out of this boat. From 6 o'clock on Friday for, afternoons yep. all the way till Sunday The beer's going to be in yeah. the cooler. We're going to be on the boat. They're sleeping on the boat. They're Real's diving be on fired the, up. Yeah. Exactly. We're doing everything on the boat. And guess what? You're paying seventy five dollars a month to store that boat that you're paying thousand bucks on that you're never on. It's just sitting in a slip or sitting on the trailer. When you can really just go on a family vacation, rent the boat for a couple hours, and that's all you spend. Yeah, go rent the boat. That's, rent the boat. I, I have, I have. We enjoy Vegas much as you do. Um, and I, I told Tank next time we're going to Vegas because Harley has a rental program. You can go right at the HD store right there on the strip. Yeah. Yeah, I bet the one here here in St. Louis does it. Okay, I would guarantee you they rent bikes. And I said, next time we go to Vegas, I'm going to rent a bike and we're going to ride out in the desert. That Some of those be, roads that would are be just fun. gorgeous. And she's like, I'm not <laughs> getting on a motorcycle. I was like, I want to rent a trike. I love trikes, man. I said you can because especially for the passenger, they they sit up above the right the the, 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 the rider the driver, and so and it's got a backrest. She can lean back. She can go to sleep. Which Put your arms on something. Right. It's got an armrest on it. It's like a throne they sit on. Yeah. You know, and there's no balancing. Right. You know, on a trike. And so she's like, well, it'll be hot. I said, when we hit 85, we're not going 85. Like, we're going to go 85. That's that called day. 60 mile an air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> or 85 mile well, in the desert. Issue. I mean, there's no other cars. Yeah. You're going to be going. So we can ride out to the Hoover Dam, the whole deal, you know. I would love to have a trike, but it's a toy. That thing, if we retired and decided, hey, we're going to, we're going to sell the house. We're going to live on the road on a motorcycle, an RV. That's one thing. Right. But we live close to a factory that sells RVs. You would not, they build them. People come down there to look at them, to choose to them, to order them. Yeah, I mean, they walk down the line. I know someone who, who with looked around for a long time for one before they bought. Oh my yeah. god! Hundred thousand dollar base, but that's and it goes but, up from there. You know, when you drive around America, you know, I've just driven around the the Midwest and in the South a little bit, and I'm I've I've told people I'm driving with. I'm like, how in the hell do these dealerships in Podunk, USA? Have a hundred RVs on a lot. They don't even have a hundred people in this town. Yep. I don't understand how they, with the cost of an RV or a bus or whatever it is, how you can have so many of them in a place where I didn't think there were that many people. And Florida is really big because it's, it's a retirement community. Yeah. There's so many people who retired of Florida, retired or retired of the South. Do those move a lot? I mean, do, are yeah. they are they writing those? Are they selling well, those? I mean, like, like I said, if you uh, this particular brand has has known for their loyalty. Okay. They're known for customer loyalty. And these people will go buy an RV when they retire at 55 or 60 and go out and they'll live on the road in that thing for 10 years and put a million miles on that diesel engine. Wow. And they come back and they trade that sucker in. Look, this place, the factory has got their own sales lot. And plus, they've got a used sales lot also. And they probably have a mechanic that fixes oh, all they, those they, they run it back through the factory and refurbish it. Tear, yeah. tear all the carpet out, put new carpet in. You know, minimal work for for exponential profit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't know how your your bank works on like toy loans, motorcycles. You're always going to pay a premium for toys, right? Because you're 100 percent right. A lot of well, the theory behind it is that if it's a toy, and I don't, I'm not speaking for any financial institution. I'm just saying from my purview. It, the toy is something that can be disposed of. Like, this is the last thing that I'm it's worried disposable about. Disposable income. Yeah. Like, if, if I need to buy food for my family, guess what? The note's not getting paid on the, on the four wheeler. Yeah. So, institutions will put a premium on those interest rates. And it's not like extravagant, but it's, you're going to get a five year car loan at three and a half. You're going to get a motorcycle loan at six. Oh, yeah. Do you see what it's I'm saying? It's still double. It's still double, right? But I mean, it's not 29%. Right. But, but there's a reason behind it, right? Because first of all, toys don't last a long time yeah. unless you really take care of them. And there's no resale value to a four, to a four wheeler. I mean, it's really not. They're not going to hold their value unless you're just getting some schmuck off of Facebook marketplace to buy your four wheeler that's 10 years old for the same price you bought it for. Yeah. <laughs> the same with motorcycles. I mean, you know, uh, I've I've got those those three bikes and and two of them I have really customized. You know, I had to add stuff cuz I'm so sticking tall, you know, and I got to stretch I had to add uh foot pegs that go further out so I can stretch my legs out. I had to get seats with some a little bit of back support cuz of my long body, mm-hmm. you know. Um and I changed some stuff aesthetically that I like better. Well, no one's going to want the bike that I've built now. Right. But on Facebook Marketplace, I see guys who have like, you know, I've got a two guys like I got a 2007 Sportster custom. 
well, it's custom for you because right. that's what you wanted. Right. I don't care. I don't I'm not going to pay for your $1,200 paint job you got put on it. And it looks like crap, but you like it, but I don't want to buy that paint job. Right. You know, um, see, I see what you're, I mean, it's, it's, you, you can't resell something that you, that you've either abused like a four wheeler that you beat all to hell or side by side that's used for hunting is covered down in deer blood. Exactly. <laughs> or it's a, it's a bike that you've had custom candy painted some, some puke green color. Nobody's, nobody's going to want to buy that. People that do the best with toys are the people that it's part of their lifestyle. Like, Hey, we got a farm and we're there all the time in our family. You know, it's a family farm and all the family members get use out of this. Right. This four wheeler, this waiver, whatever it is, you know, this side by side. And, uh, that, that's the best use. The people that don't get it used is where it's sitting on the trailer in your driveway. And you can't get away from work, but once every six months and you're sitting there paying on something that you're never using. And then all of a sudden your wife's like, Hey, you don't use this anymore. Let's sell it. And now you haven't recuperated anything you put into it because you've been making that payment all the time. So really assess your lifestyle. See if it really is something that's useful in your life before you throw away your cash. And if you want an adventure and you want to plan for it, go rent it somewhere. Yep. See if you're going to like it first. Exactly. See if you're going to like it, right? I mean, when I, I had that, I, I bought an 86 Honda Magna when I, I want to get back into riding. I bought an 86 Honda Magna for like two grand. Okay. You know, or 2,500, whatever it was. Rode it, rode it, rode it. Got, got my, got my bearings again. Got back to, got back used to riding and posted it on Facebook Marketplace and it took me a year to sell it. Wow. But I got my money back for it. I got back right what I put into it. Yep. But I sat on the asset for a year after I'd already bought my first Harley. Right. So then I had two bikes. I only had one that I was riding. Um, if, if you want to see just a, if you want some funny reading, go on Craigslist and read through the motorcycle listings. I know what I've got. Don't throw me in under. under. No, 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 no. It's oh. better than that. Oh, it's what better, is it? Because it'll be a, you go in there now, 2002 Hardy Street Glide, only 500 miles, uh, looking for somebody to take up the pavements. Yeah, because they're, they only <laughs> rode it for, they only rode it up and down the highway a couple of times. Or my favorite one is, uh, it'll be like, you know, 2019, uh, say a 2019 Fat Boy, uh, it's got 75 miles on it. Only dropped once. <laughs> you know, I have a recommendation for people like that. Go ahead. Because I have a colleague that is uh, has one income, and he is the equivalent of a poor college kid, even though he's not in college, right? I mean, it's the same principle. Right. And he really wanted a bike, really wanted a motorcycle. I mean, I don't know. It's just something he really wanted. But he went over to where, to the to the place we have here, and he took – the lessons or whatever. Yeah, like the, the rider's class. The rider class. And that gave him an idea because he got to use different bikes. Before he actually bought a bike, he was able to see, okay, am I actually going to like the feel of this bike? Can I control this bike? Do I even like riding bikes? Yep. You know, Because in your mind, um, I I can ride a motorcycle. I know what I'm doing. I and you just good. see the rock star stuff. And yes. Yeah, yeah. But this person was able to spend 300 bucks. First of all, he was able to get licensed. Mm-hmm try the bikes that the the company owned and try a variety of bikes. If you dropped them, it wouldn't nothing off, off his skin. Exactly. Right. And once he figured, once he got, before he got to the advanced class, 
he went ahead and bought an inexpensive bike. And I said, Oh, now are you riding your bike? He's like, Hell no. He's like, I put that in storage until I'm, <laughs> until I'm done. Cause if I drop the bike, it ain't going to be mine. That's right. <laughs> but my point is, is he, he, he tested the waters first before he, now this person only spent about four grand, but four grand for someone with a fixed income yeah, and like, that's a big jump. I mean, that's a big jump, right? We well, you know, cause you got to get a helmet, uh, boots, to, jacket, everything. Gloves, gloves. Please buy gloves. Yes. If you're listening to this. At the at the bare minimum, when you ride a motorcycle, wear a helmet and wear gloves. Because if something happens and you go down, the first thing you're going to do is reach out and try to put your hands down to catch yourself. Yep. And there's a very famous YouTuber, uh, Do It With Dan, and he does like moto vlogging. Got a, a GoPro in his helmet, and he you know, talks while he's riding or whatever. And he hit some debris in a road, and he went down with no gloves on. Mm. He got third-degree asphalt burns on his hands. So it's a natural reaction to put well, your yeah, hands out. You want to catch yourself, mm-hmm. you know. You don't want your head, you want to land face first, right? And so for four months, he walked around with his. He couldn't do anything. Had his hands because they were third degree burn from the asphalt. Yeah, you know, it just tore all all the hot down to the bone. Yeah, you know? don't want to get gruesome, but I mean, if if in the motorcycle safety course that you were talking about, a lot of states require that, right? And a lot of states, once you finish that, you get your license at the dealership. Yeah. Depending on what what state, and some states do like almost like continuing education, right, to make sure that you can. Uh, some, I mean, yeah, you can you can keep taking advanced courses, courses up to so, a certain part, so that you know you can handle just certain environments and things right. like that. And, and plus, if if you take that course, whether your state requires it or not, you're going to get a a pretty good cut on your motorcycle insurance, right. which is expensive now. Yeah, if, depending on what bike you get. Yeah. Um, I went to my my, my hometown insurance guy, and. uh Walked in, he's like, "What's going on?" I was like, "I bought a Harley, man. I'll get some insurance." He's like, "You don't want it from me." <laughs> straight up told, he just straight up told me, "He's like, I'll ride it if you want it, but you're not going to want to pay what I'm what I'm charging." And I said, "What's the deal?" He goes, "Sport bike riders." He goes, "It's it's it's young kids who get way too much bike than they can handle, mm-hmm. and they go crazy and they wreck it in no time." Yeah, they probably lose the insurance companies are probably losing their butt oh, on those. Oh yes, yeah. that's the reason they charge arm and leg. Mm-hmm. He's like, the best way to go through is progressive. Really? Also, thanks for our, this week's episode uh, sponsor, Progressive Insurance. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, he told me he's like, if you want reasonable insurance, go through Progressive. And I mean, if, if you've got also, if you're going to buy a bike, I strongly suggest that you buy used. But I'm, you'd go with this too. Buy used, pay with cash. They yep. Save your money. That that gratification. That would you call it the. Uh, yeah, immediate gratification. Yeah, or, you're yeah. right. So you your, want delayed gratification is what you want. That's it. Yeah. Save your money, put it aside. If you if you really care about something, if you really really want to get into something, you, like this whole rig we're sitting at right now, you know, I I saved my way up right. to buy this gear because I really wanted to get into podcasting and I love it. Um, yeah, you know the number one the number one motorcycle brand in America is Harley. What's the number two? Number two. Their biggest competition is used Harley market. Really, and I'm sure I'm sure the used Harley market is just as it is flooded. Flooded, yeah. <laughs> well, like you were mentioning, I mean the guy the guy that spends buys a brand new Harley and then a life event happens and he needs to get rid of the payment because what what happened is he needed a full size truck to strap that motorcycle inside of <laughs> so he could drive it to his mom's house or whatever you right. know, and uh, now you got a seven hundred dollar truck payment and a four hundred dollar motorcycle payment. And a life event happens, and you need to get rid of the payment. So, you know, all you know, when it comes to 
just kind of full circle here is when it comes to financial advice, everybody's situation is different, but know, you know yourself. And if you really want something, wait a few days because you may not really want it in 10 days. That's very true. You know, write it down, say, Hey, this is what I, I always tell people. A couple of things I learned, uh, in, in a specific sport that I uh, coached and competed in, write down your goals, put them on the wall. And if those are the same goals in 30 days, you know, whatever they are, pursue them. You're if on the right track. If, if your goals change, then you're going to modify what your goal is. Cause I mean, I'll tell you what, I hate spending money. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I'm low with money. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to be very specific with what I do because you can't get the money back. You know what I mean? You cannot get the money back. Like I, I recently did some, uh, I recently did some, uh, electrical work and I'm no electrician. So I hired somebody to do it. Right. And, um, it needed to be done. And I got it for, I got a great job by a licensed electrician for an inexpensive price because I just did. But it, the inexpensive price was still expensive, you know, and right, you know, handing that cash over was painful. It was. Yeah. But I had to think long term, like, okay, now my family's not going to have to worry about the issue that was there. Like the issue is gone. Right. And the value of my house went up. So handing over that thousand dollars or whatever it was, a couple thousand, whatever it was, was painful. But the alternative was also painful. So you got to choose it worse. It was worse. Yeah. yeah. It was worse. So, you know, um, thank God I didn't have to put that on credit. Right. Thank, thank God I didn't have to, uh, put, keep my family in, in the position we were in for, for that piece. But, you know, if I would have, for example, went and bought a brand new Harley, I wouldn't have been able to do the electric. Right. right. So what's more important? I mean, well, you'd have been scrambling trying to find a buyer for it. Right. Like I said, with mine, it was a year before I, before I was able to move. My, my look, if it was a newer Harley, be different, but still, you've got an asset, but you don't have the cash you need at that point, at that moment. Right. And I tell all young people when I, cause I, I meet a lot of college or uh, high school graduates that are graduating, going to college and young adults. And they're like, well, what, you know, what's the best advice you can give me? I always say, you know, make sure you have six months worth of income saved up. I was about to ask you that. You think six, six months, six months bare minimum. Okay. That's your emergency fund. Bare minimum. And that, and because you, for example, this pandemic that hit, I mean, nobody, not one soul knew it was coming. Nope. And a lot of my friends, I call them friends. It's just people that I know from things that I do like, uh, football Sundays and things like that. These people literally went from a consistent weekly paycheck to pay all their bills to literally zero. Yep. And had, and had nothing. And when you go from three to $5,000 worth of payments to no money, that's a lot of stress on you and your family or on you, whatever. And if you have that backup plan, Although in this case, we've been in this pandemic for a year, right? Some people have been, it's been hurting them longer. At least you would have some buffer there. Yeah. You know, you'd have some buffer there. So I always tell people don't overspend. Don't spend money just because you have it and don't overspend and, and save what you can, right? Um, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm older than I ever have been. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, one day close. <laughs> but, uh, I'm still learning those lessons because yeah. you have to decide 
what's more important on a daily basis? Like, okay, is it more important for me to order Jimmy John's today or is it more important for me to celebrate with my wife on my next anniversary yeah. and do it up even better? Do right? it big. Do yeah. it big. So, I mean, because if I eat Jimmy John's every single day, you know, that's, you know, it's 12 to $12 a day or whatever, yeah. you know, for 365 days a year, what could I have done with that money? So I gotta think. Okay, is it, what? How important is this to me today? And, and people don't think about that kind of stuff anymore. That's where I see a lot of the downfall for people. Well, it's just like the uh, you text on the way over here, like you need some Starbucks. You just wanted a black coffee or whatever. But I, I know people who go every single morning, twice a day. Well, I'm me. That oh, I know. okay. Every single morning when I'm leaving work and they're coming into work, they've got. The, the whatever the whatever they call large they, venti <laughs> venti okay. mm-hmm. they come in with that venti iced americana or or macchiato you know it's seven eight dollar drink I'm guessing it's expensive man yeah and they're doing that every single morning and you know people do it twice a day I know I know people that I'm that I work with that will go it, the very bare minimum once a day and sometimes they'll go two or three times a day <sighs> and that's like smoking. You're looking at like ten bucks. That's like a that's over a that's more than a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. No, we may not be here, but I mean back home that's more than than a, a pack of cigarettes a day they're doing. Brand recognition, first of all, mm-hmm. it's ingrained the brand recognition right. because I guarantee you, you go to Quick Trip. You know, Quick Trip's a local right. gas station here, and you want a black coffee. I'm sure the black coffee there is for eighty nine cents <laughs> is the same that you get for the three dollars at that yeah, black but, coffee. But cup. that cup, that white cup, yeah. with, with the siren on it, that that is a status symbol. And brand recognition, it does a lot for people's psyche. Just like Harley, man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. When you go buy a motorcycle, it's got that shield on it, that HD shield, you know, or or whatever it may be, whether it's, you know, um, what's a a clothing brand that's really big? I can't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I I don't, I wore the same clothes for 20 (laughs) (laughs) years. Remember when I was wearing this 20 years ago? I thought you were wearing that same same hoodie in college, that St. Louis Rams hoodie you got on. Um, Whatever brand, uh, uh, Tink wears fancy shoes. The ones with the, there's a certain brand, there's a certain brand of shoes that she wears and they're known for having a red sole. Okay. The bottom of them are red. I'm following you, but I don't know the name of it. Yeah, it's like, uh, she's probably screaming. She's listening to, she's probably screaming the name. (laughs) I can't remember what it is. Um, You know, but, when women see another woman wearing those shoes and they're walking away from it and they see that red solo, oh, she's made it. She, 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 she knows. She knows. You know, she's with it. Or Tink loves Michael Coor stuff, Michael mm-hmm. Coor's purses. Yeah. You know, to have that, that MK emblem on, on the side. Oh, she, she, she's in the know. Oh, you, my dad used to be like that. Oh, really? Let me tell you how he did it though. How? <laughs> so uh, this fool lived in California. <laughs> Lived in California in the in the sixties and seventies, okay. Okay. And uh, he was so bright that they were dirt poor. Okay. Mm-hmm. He he wanted to look cool and have Levi jeans. Okay. Because that was the thing back then. Yeah. But all he could afford, all his family could afford, was the Kmart special. Okay. So he would he would make his way through the mall, and guess what? We'd be taking off the tag, the the back pocket Levi tag, the red tag. No, the oh the, the, the big patch, block, the yeah. big block, and sewing it onto our Kmart specials. <laughs> And then riding around in the in the station wagon with the windows up, so everyone thought you had air conditioning when you're burning your balls off. <laughs> I sweat and just crying. Or about <laughs> so I mean, I mean, you know, it's the perception. It's perception, the, man. The, the the Starbucks thing, you know, that toting toting that cup. You know, you're saying to everybody, yeah, I went by the bucks. Yes, you know, 
I, I, I made the stop. That's right. You know, um, when really you probably get better coffee at the local gas station. Oh yeah. Where I, the pot's never been cleaned. Well, look, I'll t- that thing is seasoned. Exactly. <laughs> That's got years to it. Um, I drink a lot of coffee with my job being up all night and the best coffee that, that I've had out on the road was from love's travel stop. If Love's wants to sponsor this podcast, I'll be glad to have you because I believe in Love's. Love's is the only place that you can get a good – their house blend coffee is phenomenal. It is so good. Just black, just a black coffee. No sugar, no nothing. Um, it's fantastic because you can go in there and you can get a cup of coffee. You can get – you can get you – no. Know, a CB. <laughs> the, right. Some of those love stores are like supermarkets. Exactly. You know, you can get groceries. Old Trapper beef jerky and, <laughs> yeah, and a CB radio and some one-ply toilet paper. And and, and, and there's it's a crackhead you can give a dollar to outside. <laughs> exactly. A shower with a quarter slot. That's, <laughs> that's amateur, man. You, you get a loves card. Okay. They have a rewards card. It loves. I'm only doing that, man, if it's like going through like the Rainmaker for your car. It's like a car you stand with your arms up. <laughs> They spray you with so- they spray you with soap and then they rinse you down. Get you with the suds. And then you, you spread them a little bit and it rinses everything out. The, uh, if you're if you're out on the road, um, you need a hot a good uh, a, a good hot cup of coffee that's fresh. Loves is the way to go. I love loves. They have kept me awake. Many, well, love many is love. In the <laughs> love is love. We learned that today. We did learn that according today. to Tinker. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, was there anything else you want to talk about today at all? Man, I'm so I'm so thrilled to be on the show, and Dude, I'm uh, glad you took the time. We've, we've done almost three hours. Well, you know, we, we've never shut up before. So no, I think, we haven't. I don't think it's going to stop. We spent many nights in the dorms, just running our oh, traps. Oh my god. <laughs> You know, and uh, it's good to have friends that you can share their experiences with and and share in their passions. And I know this is a passion for you. And um, I'm just I'm just grateful to be a part of it. And uh, I can't wait for the next time. Well, man, thanks for the time. Like I said, once I get back home, if you ever want to do it remotely, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We can do that. Um, Yeah, I'd love to do a show. You know, before we leave, you know, uh, I have an experience. uh, I grew up. Without my dad because he was. Well, I want to get into. I didn't know if you, you you really wanted you want to talk about that now. No, I mean let's let's save that for another show. Okay, I, I didn't want to. It's hard to broach that subject. Yeah. with someone. Um, you kind okay? of give everybody a teaser of, of what your experience was like. Yeah, I I, uh, I stayed home from school one day when I was eleven years old and uh, found out that my uh, that I lost my dad tragically in um, in combat and. Uh, so um, I'll be 42 this year. So I've lived without my dad for 31 years. And, uh, there's a lot that goes in that. And I know, I know everybody has their own opinion on war and politics and things like that. But from the human perspective, right. there's a whole story behind that. This was during the first Gulf conflict. This is the first Gulf conflict. Right. So, you know, um, I think that would be a great, uh, Memorial Day type show. Sure. Or absolutely. Something like that. I, you know, I, I, uh, I have a good wrestling buddy of mine who uh, was a was a mentor in high school for me, and uh, we we buried him in August at Arlington. Yeah. Young, uh, young guy, young younger guy than should have should have died, yeah. and uh, just the respect that uh, military people have for each other. That's what's impressive to me. 
because it's really not about the conflict itself. It's it's about the brotherhood and the and the sacrifice. And um, you know, that particular person, that that friend of mine who mentored me, I'll never forget how he treated me as an individual. Uh, you know, and um, what he brought to the table as a human being, and it had nothing to do with the con- the military service because he didn't die in combat, but it. But because of the person he was, he was willing to sacrifice a part of his life for what he thought was the betterment of his country, you know? So I've experienced quite a few different scenarios like that in my lifetime, and I would love to share and and get feedback from people on what their perspective is on what it means to be a family member of a soldier or service member. Well, I think that's really important. I mean, that's something that could be a show of your own. That that you personally do. It's not, if you ever get get the bug to, to do the wacky world of, of podcasting, um, you know that's uh, that's I didn't realize until recently. I, I was watching some some videos on YouTube one night, and I didn't realize that the military had their own mortuary workers. Uh, I was under the assumption when a soldier came home who was killed in combat, they got sent to their local funeral home and it was taken care of there but now they take great care in bringing that body home uh i think it was in delaware the one i saw dover Dover, Dover, yeah Mm -hmm. dover air force base that's right um and they interviewed those people those people have a passion for making sure that these airmen and marines and sailors and soldiers when they come home they're given proper respect when when they're being dressed and prepared for their final walk it's almost like a uh, – and I, I never want to impose or project onto those people what I would think they would do. But for me, watching that same episode that I probably saw that you saw, it's almost like a religious experience for them because they're bringing that person home for the last time. And it's almost – It's a uh, – their sense of duty. It's a duty, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane how much respect that they offer that when body. That one guy they interviewed, you know, he, he said um, – when he served in the field, he he got appointed then to Dover, and one of the kids that he served with came back. Mm. You know, he said that was like he was burying one of, of his own children. Right. And he said, I'd be damned if he wasn't going to get the best the, the best send-off I would give one of my own kids. Yep. The care it went into preparing, prepare the uniform, get the medals done right, get their, their, their ribbon rack correct. Everything to spec. They they take such it's minuscule things and make them perfect. If anybody's interested and you haven't seen this film, I recommend this film for every American to watch. It's called Taking Chance. Uh, it's it's uh, got Kevin Bacon in it. Oh yes, yes, yeah. So if you haven't seen that, I recommend that you definitely take the opportunity to watch it because it will change your life. Um, and just on what the human aspect of what we're talking about is. So uh, just to plug there, not that I have any skin in the game, <laughs> skin in the game for that movie, but it's a great film. That's um, National Geographic did uh, uh, one of their documentary film hour, hour and a half long called a field of honor about Arlington. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. You know, where they, they cover everything from, uh, preparing for a burial to the Arlington women who accompany other women who have got no body with them. Right. Um, they follow the uh, 
guards, the, the old guard from the tombs, the, the guys who guard the tomb of the old unknown soldier, with yes. the first infantry, I think, is who it is. Yeah. Um, Very specific protocol. Oh, soup. Yes. yes. It, it, the, it, a little bit of trivia for you, if you didn't know. The tomb guard badge is the second least awarded medal in the military, badge in the military behind the astronaut badge. Is it a two-year commitment to get that badge? I for, they it's, it's like a tiered program. Okay. They have to go through like almost like an internship, the training, yes. you know, where they walk at night learning how to do it. Yes. They take them out like there. Doing like doing a century and stuff like that. Like two in the morning. Right. They're training these guys how to walk right. <laughs> walk right. And they've got it. And they were literally, it's, it's, it's like a sports figure because they have to watch their, their body type. Oh, yeah. They have to watch their figure, their, they, they their food intake, their it's weight. It's something about they have to be over. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's a restriction on the height, but they have to be over a certain height. Right. And um, your weight, you have to be like oh, you, definitely you, you in shape. You have to look like a G.I. Joe figure. Yes. You've got to be within super physical standards. Um, but they do that. Yep. Arlington Field of Honor, and they get the history of where Arlington came from. How, you know, it used to belong to... Robert E. Lee's family and they lost it during the civil. It was, it was right. It was That's taken. why he's got that house on the on the hill. Up mm-hmm. there. Yeah, uh, it was it was taken as possession of the Union, and then they sold it to themselves. Right. <laughs> and became U.S. property, <laughs> <laughs> as the government does. <laughs> yeah, um, take it and make a profit. Yeah, uh, taking chance is a is a, is a good one. Um, Arlington Field of Honor from National Geographic. Uh, if you're just a history nerd or if you want to see what goes in just the everyday pe- preparation around Arlington from them preparing uh, to do a funeral to what the tomb guards have to go through. Um, that's become a new obsession of mine, too, is watching videos on YouTube of, people, of yeah. the tomb guards yelling at people to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play around, man. I'm telling you what, man. I was super blessed uh, this last funeral I went to just real quick before we end. Go ahead. I was – we got all we got all that, man. It's, the, it's up to you. The father, the father of this individual was one of my childhood pastors, and the mother was one of my school teachers. So I've known this family since 1994. Um, very beautiful family, and um, they would give you the shirt off their back. Okay, I mean, literally, they're one of the best families that I've ever had, and I was so blessed to be a part of it because of COVID. It was supposed to be quite a few more people come, but. They had to move the, they actually had to move the service, you know, months and months after it was supposed to happen, right? And so I got the unique experience of being there in a, in a, in a constricted environment. And not only that, but when the, uh, when, when the, uh, color guard did the 21 gun salute, they're, they're doing blanks. So, but there's still uh, brass that comes out of that. Right. And, uh, my friend's brother-in-law, uh, went over to the to the color garden, asked for the uh, brass. brass, and so um, his mom. We were walking and talking after everything was over. We were walking, and she put one of the pieces of brass in my front pocket. And you know, I it I can't explain to you what I can't explain to you other than you know it was just a moment, you know, yeah. and. Um, it was very impactful for me, and um, people that haven't experienced that type of everyone loses somebody. We've mm. all lost family members. I don't know what that heightened thing is when it's a military person where you're in that environment in Arlington. I mean, the number you know, our 
you know, the the best place in the United States to be buried for military people is, is Arlington. You know, it's the highest sought ground. And um, it's earned ground. And anything that happens there is sacred. Yeah. And that that for them, maybe they were just sticking that in my pocket for because they wanted me to be a part of it. But for me, it was an experience, yep. you know, and, and, um, there's just so many things that go, go along with that. I, I, I would say whatever anybody's feeling is about the military or about politics or anything like that aside, look at the human aspect of what the perceived value is, which is we are doing this for our country where even though we sign up or we intentionally go into this, there is a there is a sacrifice not just for the military person, but I'm telling you the families sacrifice a lot of time, of uh, experience. I mean, the last year of my dad's life, he was on a special project with Lockheed uh, out in California. We were living in Florida. He was only home every two weeks. Yeah. And so the last year I knew him, I only knew him half the time. Right. And the other half, he was still working. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was off. He was still working, but he wasn't home every night. Right. So those, those, whether or not someone agrees with the industrial, uh, or the, the war complex. Military you know, industrial exactly, complex. Exactly. Or whatever that may be, there are people behind that. There are families behind that and there are sacrifices behind that. And, um, you know, you can, ha- you can believe whatever you want about, uh, American pride or, uh, you know, flag, uh, you're standing during the anthem or whatever that is, but you know, mutual respect is is really the key there. You know, mutual respect, and um, if you're in the presence of somebody who is that's important to them, just be real careful how you tread. Yeah, because it's it's more than just standing for the flag. It's it's everything behind it. So. All right, let's go ahead and let's plan for uh, Memorial Day this year then. If let's you, do if it. If you want to do that. Let's do it. Because uh, I think I'm going to be off that week. Okay. So we'll, we'll get it together and have it ready for Memorial Day then. Awesome, man. Sound good? Appreciate the time. Man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed myself. Thank you all guys for listening to this episode. Uh, if you want to know more about the show or any of the other ones, go by tripodbroadcasting.com. You go over there and check out Matt and Addison and give that some thought. You can see Rick and the guys Barnhill Outdoors for all your hunting and fishing stories. And you go by and see Aaron at I Have the High Ground if you're into Star Wars. Also, be sure to check out ebles.com, E-A-B-L-E-S. You can save 15% on your next order by using the promo code HANGO. And also go by mydelta8.com, see what they got going over there. Thanks again, man. I love you a whole lot, brother. Love you too, man. I love all y'all out there. Have a great night, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.